Digital Gonzo, episode 119, dated Thursday the 14th of February 2013, Mass Effect. The scope of organic life is unimaginable. An astronomical civilization spans the galaxy. But as we reach for the farthest of stars, total annihilation is upon us. can't let you disrupt what I've accomplished here. Your extinction is inevitable. I'd rather die fighting than live as a slave. This ends now. This human must be eliminated. Welcome to the first of a three-part series discussing the epic Mass Effect trilogy from Bioware. We're putting these out one per month to give us time to play each title, and when the third one emerges in roughly 60 days' time, if you're not happy with the ending, don't come crying to us about it. That thing is going to stay just as it is. Waka waka. My crew aboard the Normandy charting the space opera escapades of Commander Shepard and the fate of the galaxy are... Former CSEC officer and Torian sharpshooter, Mr. Matt Ramsey of Dorkcast. Hello. Gruff, aggressive, and fiercely loyal space toad, Neil Taylor of Gamebirth. <laughs> really? Space toad? <laughs> oh, there'll be payback for that at some point. Do a battle roll. Shepard. Stoic old warhorse, Captain Jerome McIntosh of Gonzo Planet. Good day, sir. Dependable everyman sentinel staff rider for Gamer Dork. And last saved loaded's Justin Smith. Hello. And wisecracking pilot James the Joker Perkins of GeekWatt. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Gentlemen, welcome aboard. This first game in the series was released in November 2007 for Xbox 360 on Windows in May 2008, and finally PlayStation 3 digitally five years later in December 2012. And that right there is a sterling reason why I'm glad I didn't only have a PS3 this past generation. It followed in a long line of similarly themed game series from Bioware. Now, I've got four main series down here. Can anyone name them in order? Baldur's Gate. That's one. Neverwinter Nights. Correct. Knights of the Old Republic. Correct. Jade Empire. Correct. And that was 1998, 2002, 2003, and 2005. They had farmed off Knights of the Old Republic 2 to Obsidian. <laughs> yeah. Not known for their fantastic RPGs. They can change all that with South Park. We shall see. The guy who played Carthonassi, uh, Raphael Sparge, also plays Kaiden, which is why they're so very similar as characters. Also, you get uh, Jennifer Hale playing Bastila. There's constant connection lines between the two of them. And they're not dissimilar in terms of games, to the point where I, I kind of really wish that the Old Republic MMO was just a really good single-player Bioware Mass Effect 2 engine style uh, role-playing game. That would be great. Especially yeah. seeing as the main writer on uh, uh, Old Republic Online was uh, Drew Caspire. I enjoyed the storyline that they were presenting in Old Republic so much. I actually played an MMO for three months and I hate MMOs. They all seem like stepping stones moving up to, say, Mass Effect 2 when arguably the series reached its pinnacle. Uh... 
a lot of people actually what's the dominant theory at the moment because a lot of people were saying that you know Mass Effect 1 had a better story than 2 but 2 had better mechanics and this was all stuff that happened before 3 and then after 3 came out a we lot of people talk about the story in three that we much? did we've got to it's our job <laughs> without <We've got> a <laughs> fight but the but a lot of people started saying you know what two was best and I'm in that camp right now yeah we'll, we'll see we've still got to play two and three from a technical perspective two um, blows the first game out of the water because the first game has got some serious issues mm. in terms of the graphics and the mechanics the inventory system is yep. bollocks oh. the story I think is better in one but. Mm. It, again, it's not a. Ba- it doesn't mean it's a bad story in two. <laughs> Overall, two is a better product. Mass Effect One is my favourite, but two is a better game. Gotcha. Okay. The way I explain it is, um, while one had the better story, two had because it was so bait, so surrounded about, uh, uh, so focused on the characters. I enjoyed that one more. Mm. Oh, more yeah, on two I, next week, but yeah, yeah. I, I would I would agree with that as well because. Um, most people, if, well, particularly if they're achievement hunting, will play Mass Effect 1 with the same two characters on nearly every mission. Whereas on Mass Effect 2, you've got much more uh, appeal to using different characters on each each mission that you go to and balancing them off and, and trying different things. You're much more likely to just stick with the same team, sort of Dragon Age style, um, with, with Mass Effect 1. Yeah, the, the, the ally achievement was a really bad idea. What, it was basically an achievement that rewarded you for having a very, very straightforward game where you only ever kept certain people in your party. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah it's so 75% of the game, which meant like uh, a lot of the side missions. Pretty much major- the majority of it, really. Yeah, that's, yeah it's, it does say the majority, which is 75%. For, for me, with the... Uh, with one, two, and three, I do. I'm in the camp of I prefer two overall. Um, one for the story, but two for the better product. Like Matt said, mm. um, I, I'm I'm the same with a lot of trilogies. I do prefer the second one uh, because, well, with the first one being the start, you spend a lot of time getting to know the the characters. A lot of introductions, especially, so, becomes tedious once you've once you know everything. And yes, yeah. And yeah. whereas two just gets straight into it, and it's just fleshed out, and it's got so much packed into it that it mm. just feels so much more fulfilling. Also, uh, let's be fair, down. Mass Effect 2 probably has the greatest opening to just about oh, any yes. game. <laughs> See, uh, the, talking about the opening, um, like as a PS3 owner, I'm, unfortunately, I, I was in that position, Alex, where this it, it was the only platform I could have. Yeah, sure, I could have bought it on a PC, but um, I don't think I've really had anything to, to justify it sufficiently powerful enough. Mm. So, um, so I... I I gained entry to the series on two, and that opening scene, which of course we'll get to next month, um, it it just says to me, pe- people will come along and argue, oh yeah, you can't start just on two. You need you need to have played one to know what's happening. Well, I would say, look at Star Wars Episode Four. It starts in very much the same way. A ship under siege. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I have actually said repeatedly to uh, to people, uh, Paul Shotton specifically, who's been dabbling with the idea of playing Mass Effect 1 repeatedly for the past few years, if 1 is kicking your ass, if 1 is becoming a chore, and if you just straight out aren't getting into 1, just go straight to 2. It's not going to kill it that much. You do, however, miss a lot of good stuff from 1, though. Yes. 1 is, is seriously... Uh, uh, um 
at its heart is a lot of setup, but a lot of world building is done in that game. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's the amount of detail in the world building is beyond belief. Yeah. And tonight we're going to be talking about some of the uh, the best aspects and also some of the, the flaws of this game because there are many of both. Okay, so the plot in a nutshell runs thus. In the year 2183, while on a routine mission investigating an attack on a colony, Commander Shepard comes into contact with an alien beacon which implants information into Shepard's head. This information, when untangled, hints at a race of advanced machines called Reapers that enter known space every 50,000 years and wipe out all intelligent life. Shepard is charged by the Council of Unified Alien Races, of which humanity has just recently been introduced, to track down a rogue agent named Saren, who appears to be assisting the Reaper's return. Should the commander fail, it could spell the end of everything smarter than a monkey. Right, this next section we're going to do is what does Mass Effect 1 do well and what are its flaws? And I've got a bunch of bullet points so we can handle each one in turn. So we'll start off with the thing you're going to spend most of the game doing, the combat. Now, let's just look at this game in a vacuum, as as though Mass Effect two and three aren't don't don't even exist, and just compare it to say other shooters of the day, like say I think Gears was out by by two thousand seven. Yeah, it? yeah. It's very similar to Gears in its basic execution. You you um, go into into cover and you pop out and you progress through that way. So it's, it's broadly speaking similar. Mm. But well, I would yeah. say that Gears is a hell of a lot better in its combat. The combat is not good in this game. Yeah. No. I, don't I thought really... it was when I first played it, but mm. I was I was fairly new to shooters at that point. And when I played it through this time, I have no idea why I thought that, because it was, it was not good. Not good at all. It was awful. <laughs> One of my principal issues is that I don't really trust the cover system. You have, to, you have to push up against the wall to really be in cover, and then sort of drag your character along and it just it, I found myself just sort of pottering out into the line of fire all too often there's you not did. that just press a button and then you're in, in cover until you ask to come out of it but did you also find with with that direct point that sometimes your character would just stand in front of a wall rather than go yeah I can lean up against that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's an issue ultimately I, I found myself as a result not relying on cover I spent. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep adding shield or barrier. That will do as a sort of a makeshift cover. I actually only had the combat on casual at this point because I just didn't want the headache of trying to do this game on the higher difficulties. Yeah, it, it's and it is a headache. Yeah, yeah. I did the same because I was trying to just focus on the story for this show, and I was finding even on normal because it was being so clunky, and I wasn't used to it because I hadn't played it for a while. Yeah. It was just ruining it for me. I was like, right, I've got to turn it down to casual. Just I, I mean, to be fair, it's it's very loose. I mean, Gears Gears One is so much more polished in its combat than this. Yet you can see the good ideas and the good intentions that were that were put in there. You know, the cover system, while not being great, is there, and it is when it works, it works fairly well. Can you liken it at all? Depending on the the type of playstyle you adapt, can you liken it perhaps to Bioshock? Because obviously, if you decide to go um, for um, biotics, yeah. you're not really going to be using your gun very much. True. That's that's what I found um, because I ended up I ended up choosing a character that was strong in biotics, and what I found is instead of relying on my gun, I was mainly using powers all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But then that's that's also because the pistol is the only thing you can even vaguely aim with. Yeah, yeah. 
that 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 is definitely a, a, a something that people are going to find confusing if you're just playing like the soldier class. You can use all the weapons. You've just got to put points in them to use them effectively. Yeah. Because mm. trying to use the sniper rifle in the early game is a joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Swaying around, yeah, I feel sick. But um, yeah, I mean, even if you've got, I mean, I've got points in full points in pretty much everything for my character and even so the shotgun is pointless it doesn't do anything it's a useless weapon I've always uh, found that about the shotgun yeah. unless you, you put in oh. the high explosive rounds yeah so I mean in all seriousness you're actually handicapping yourself by playing the uh, soldier on the lower difficulty levels on the first Mass Effect not handicapping in terms of ability but in terms of enjoyment because you're going to be playing it like a regular shooter and not experiencing any of the you know explosive incredible Jedi powers or uh, engineer powers yeah, you have to remember oh, that that this like Fallout this is an RPG you yeah. have to level those skills up I think yeah. this is like a problem that Fallout 3 had people were playing it like a first person shooter it's like no it doesn't work that way but Mass Effect 2 and 3 you could just do soldier and, and experience it as a really good solid shooter but the because first one maybe yeah, not overheating they got the foundation of what they needed for the second game because just as talking about it we've already given examples of us playing it in, playing the combat in different ways mm. It just goes to show that it was all about making your own shepherd. Yeah, I found I, I was playing on Sentinel this time round, which is a bit of engineer, so you're good with tech, and, and a bit of biotic um, adept, so you're mm. quite good with force powers. But then you end up as a sort of a jack of all trades, master of none. And it seemed like all of my powers, and I had loads of them available to me. All they really <laughs> did is make things go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing so, wrong with making things go... Yeah, but that's see, all my, I could do. It was quite boring. But my, my first playthrough, um, I actually played as an engineer. Mm. And because I, I, I knew enough about the story to think that the Geth were the main threat. Yeah. So I just figured, Chuck, everything in Overload or Sabotage. Yeah. And you, you're laughing. Of course, that doesn't work when you've got probably a third of the game is humanoid. And, um, you know, yeah, <laughs> you've got people shooting them. back at you that aren't robots. That's, yeah. I see, that's one thing that you could do in KOTOR, which you can't do in this. Literally swap to your other team members. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that this first game could have done with. Not so much the second, where it's like you're building a party and you use them as your support, but in this first one, because the actual combat's so limiting at times, being able to swap out would have been a good idea. The amount of times when I think it's Novaria, where I've been trying to get to the dam's railway station and don't have enough ability to hack, so I have to go through the... the Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. So that's enough on combat. Um, uh, the bottom line, on, yeah, go for it. Sorry, one more thing on the combat. The, the biggest problem I've played as a soldier. I've always played as a soldier because my shepherd is a soldier. That's all he is. And the biggest problem I had with that was the frame rate. Mm. Oh which, yeah. yeah, which disappears at some point. It becomes. It doesn't become a flick, but it becomes a a, a still picture. A slide. Yeah. I mean, I, I was sat there for five seconds waiting for it to sort itself out at one point. I mean, it's worse now than I remember it ever being before. The, I'm, I'm um, assuming it isn't, but it's, it's appalling at times. The yeah. Bringing Down the Skies DLC, when you actually make it into the main complex and get into that first five light, that's always terrible oh. to the point you can't do anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this game, uh, in this respect, and in terms of texture pop, the frame rate um, has aged really badly. Yes. It makes you think, we actually accepted games like this back in 2007? <laughs> well, no, there was a huge, 
huge outcry about the texture pop problems yeah. on it. I remember that. A lot of people were really angry about it. And Gears I and did, Uncharted also had terrible texture pop. Um, uh, Arkham I, Asylum even did. I remember, especially towards the final of this game, there's, there's times where there's brief little cutscenes where it's cutting between the ships, and sometimes the textures don't even load. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. So I didn't so have a problem with that. on all of them. So I didn't have a problem with texture pop, to be honest. Not, not noticeably. I must admit, it's not something I've really noticed playing Mass Effect. Hmm. But Again, the, the frame rate drop has been awful. I've heard that with about different versions as well. I was talking hmm. to someone on Twitter who was saying that uh, on the PS3 they they, they got to the, the, the final boss fight and it went slideshow on them. So it's like, mm, okay, they didn't fix that on the PS3 either. And that's not too bad when you're on casual, but if you're on hardcore, that's going to absolutely destroy you because you're you're just left standing there like a lemon while everyone shoots you. Yes, the <laughs> um, other serious uh, issues with the game, at, at just not necessarily for the whole game, but when it happens, it's serious. Glitches. There was one absolutely priceless moment on Novaria for me where I spent ages trying to find Matriarch Venezia and I found her and then I got killed suddenly and instantly and it was horrible and then I spent ages, even longer, trying to find my way back to her. But then... Something happened where I lost control of Shepard and she was stuck with her knee in some stairs and it was like the scenery was shifting but she was staying still and then I realised after a while that she was stretching and the fight was carrying on and my two teammates were just running around shooting at Geth or something and she was just stretching and stretching and stretching and stretching. Sharon actually took a picture of it. It was like Mr. Fantastic and after five minutes she was this spaghetti strand with her head on the other end of the room. Oh what my the god. Fuck? That's got a skin. Now that's when you really, really want to record it so you can record that to show that off. I, I, I didn't um, record it, but I, I'll see if I can find the pictures on Sharon's iPhone to actually put up on the forum because this was unbelievable. Um, the other glitch that I experienced, yeah, uh, on Vermeer, a door just wouldn't open anymore. Uh, it, it wouldn't respond. I was, it was the only way through to get to the next part of the game. What had actually happened was I threw a grenade and then I turned around and fired it off and it was an accident and the grenade went off but then the game was like but you didn't see it and if a grenade explodes but no one's observing it does it make a sound and it pondered <laughs> this for several moments and then I was like okay right well, I just want to get through this door I was like sorry, sorry there, is there is no such thing, thing as a door, door. <laughs> okay, you're having this existential crisis, but I just need to get to the next part and so I had to reload and oh my god uh, so yeah glitches when they happen like that can mean yeah. the end of the world sometimes even if it I, took me an extra five minutes uh, I, didn't have, um, I didn't have any glitches that were as funny as those ones but I had one where you know when you you use a, an elevator your teammates automatically appear in the lift and go down with you or up mm. well I went through one uh, near the end of the game and my teammates wouldn't get on the lift so it was just going up and down on its own and it wouldn't stop and they wouldn't get on the lift <laughs> So I, had to, so I had to reload, and luckily I just saved it about a minute or two before, so yeah. that was really lucky. I, I will recommend, folks, save often. Yeah, uh, yeah. But keep at least ten minutes between saves in case you do something irreparably bad. Well, speaking of the saves, the autosave, how, how frustrating is that, that every so often the game just freezes and you see the oh. little disc spin logo for about ten oh, seconds wow. at a time? Yeah. Ridiculous. 
Okay, so if it happens at the beginning at the beginning of a firefight, means you've got the frame rate drop as well. So you have to deal with one and then the next. So you sat there for a good sort of minute and a half waiting for the game to catch up. It's terrible, and the loading is abominable by today's <laughs> standards as well. We're, again, we're okay, spoiled. okay, I'm gonna interrupt here. Yeah. Please specify that this is the console version. Okay, the, the console battle. version of the loading is is awful. I don't want to come across as a PC snob here because I I oh, you are. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad they fixed it on PC because it yeah. means that there's a way to play this game which isn't broke ass. But Th- that is dependent because I still have run into the glitch problem. I've had problems where the gun has disappeared. The frame rate usually sticks around 30, but it's very smooth. I've not had uh, most of these, but the the game still does tend to freeze up on the saving, but because it's a PC, the save is so much quicker that it's probably a second and gone. There was one time when I went through a door and didn't mean to, and it went loaded. It took forever. And then I uh, I turned around and went back. And then I realized, oh, no, I was supposed to be back in there. And then I turned around and went back. Again, it only really would have taken about a minute and a half. But those, like, that 90 seconds, I was like, you know what? I could be making a cup of tea right now. Yeah, the yes. the, the, the optimization on, on the 360 yeah. one is not good. And the elevators. You see, I don't, I, I get why people are annoyed at the elevators, but I like the idea behind the yeah. elevators, if that makes sense. It's Especially kind of Star Trek. Well, no, the system, the system to, like the loading behind the lift. Yeah. It, Not only it, that, but you, it's also where you're picking up a lot of your side quests over the radio broadcast and the system. I thought that was a good idea. It's a great idea. Until you get to the Normandy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I hate going to engineering. Oh, God, it takes so long. <laughs> That just takes such a painfully long time. It's the worst lift in the world. It's pointless. Yeah, I hated that. I was playing this on 360. I was debating whether or not to play it on 360 or PC, but I went with 360 in the end. I installed the game onto my hard drive, but still it made a very, very loud whirring noise when I was playing, um, which obviously shouldn't happen when when you install it to the hard drive. It should take a lot of the processing out so it the disc shouldn't make that much of a noise and i was getting um scratching noises and that's that kind of deep were and i was getting quite worried so i always had to play it on with headphones so i didn't all i heard in the background when i was trying to enjoy the experience was <laughs> and i get no problems with any other 360 games just mass effect so in terms of Mass Effect One. I'm glad that that's over, so I don't have to hear to that hear that horrible noise when I'm yeah. playing two or three. But uh, did anyone else have a problem like that? Or me? Yeah, it was whirring quite a lot. Not as, it didn't go. It was bad. Yeah, I didn't I didn't notice that particularly. But it's 360 is always noisy anyway, so. I am glad it's over though. I was sort of rushing to the end on this one. It was like, you know, let's just get this out of the way and. I, I played exactly the same. All I did was the main story missions. Mm. No side missions at all. Well, you did join this party pretty late. Yeah, but it's not a good way to play Mass Effect. No, no. It really is. It wasn't, it, it was still a good game, but you lose so much of what's great about it. It is actually shockingly quick when you just do the main quest it's 14 hours good, it took yeah just think of. 12 hours or so which is pretty decent length for a single just a like a single player shooter campaign it'd be very good it's okay man. <laughs> it's a good size i've played this game <laughs> i've completed this game about five times and never have i been able to not do all the side quests i mean that's one of my own personal problems but 
Yeah, I, I'm pretty OCD on the side questing as well. Yeah, well, I was going to play through two and three just really quickly because obviously there's supposed to be a sense of urgency, but I really don't think I can. It was so hard to just not go off and do side missions all the time. I was having to really think hard about. <laughs> yeah, the sense was not good. Strange enough, from a storytelling point of view, the sense of time in this game is very non-existent almost. Mm. If mm. every time you go back to the Citadel, it's the same weather and it's the same set, well, the same ambience. It's the RPG problem of urgency. When you've got the whole thing of, because it's an RPG, you're supposed to be able to do everything, urgency sort of gets thrown out the window. I managed to, as an engineer, knock a Krogan off a balcony. Oh, you're telling me this way. And he landed on the floor outside of the game area. <laughs> but survived but didn't being die. a Krogan. He stood back up with his second set of health. And, and I just had him. looping sounds with him, like, crying out in pain and then getting back up. No, I don't want to give you protocol. I couldn't open the door because it felt... It, the, the rest of the whole, like, the area was clear. If woods, does it make a sound? <laughs> yeah, it goes... Arr. But if you, if you just about fiddled the camera angle just right... <laughs> Stupid machine! You could get a little red triangle to pop up. So it did acknowledge he was still there, <laughs> but you couldn't target him because you couldn't see over the edge of the balcony. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wish at the points like that the game would just level with you and say, "You know what? He's <laughs> out there. I can't cope with this anymore. Let's just have a five-minute breather, shall we?" <laughs> <laughs> but no, it just goes. I'm trying so hard, master, but I'm confused. So. I've- there was a point at which all of a sudden there was a real sense of urgency yeah. with with Mass Effect 1 there isn't quite the you're, you're trying to you're trying to investigate and discover things and again playing just the, the main story missions there is a point at which all of a sudden it's an urgent thing and you really sort of push on towards the end so if you just play the, the main story that actually progresses fairly well in terms of pacing uh, one thing that Bioware got dead wrong with both KOTOR and this is the goddamn Citadel slash Tarnis in uh also yeah. Taris in um KOTOR it just after your first sort of training mission they dump you in this giant what is effectively a shopping mall which seems a lot bigger more confusing and le- you know more bewildering than it needs to be I actually have a theory on this. I was thinking about this earlier because PC-wise, I've literally just got off of the Citadel. Mm. And I, I realised this probably could have been fixed with one sim- simple simple little cutscene. It was just a simple fact. I think my biggest problem, I remember playing this the first time around, is, all right, I go to the, I need to go find the, you know, the Admiral and the Ambassador. I'm expecting that. I need to go to my ship. You go to their office. Oh, they're not there. Where are they? Yeah. And it, it dawns on you. That when you arrive at the Citadel, you get the fantastic cutscene of you arriving and docking, but then it cuts straight to the ambassador's office, so you have no clue where the ship is, and at no point does it ever tell you where the ship is or how to get there. The map is way too basic. If it, if they had like a, an interactive map that you could zoom in on and like properly zoom in and go, Admiral Hackett is in his study, and it just like a little thingy there. Well, where can I find so and so? Or just like put a marker and like this is the quickest way to get to them. Um, mm. That'd be great. That'd be easy. You could then get through all of the, not only get through all of the, um, uh, I want to say Presidium, Citadel, uh, in, in one fairly swift, uh, like you could just do it in one sitting. But 
you could actually do side missions and stuff as well and go, right, I haven't explored over here, I haven't explored over there. But it ends up getting so bewilderingly huge, even though it's only actually a small amount of rooms, just that you have to end up running for ages. That, I mean, you don't get that you're supposed to basically just use the rapid transit. Yeah, which is what I've done this time around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you kind of think to yourself, normally using the the quick travel, you miss a lot, and so normally that's a bad idea. Mm. And in this, it. I mean, I, I'd spend quite a lot of time the first time running around and getting all the side missions and doing all the stuff. Mm. But after a while, once you've seen and been everywhere, mm. just rapid travel, rapid yeah, transit. Otherwise, you just spend so much time just <laughs> jogging around. Also, by today's standards, oh. Shepard runs like a bit of a pillock. Oh, God. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. I mentioned this to you early, didn't I, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> just, just, I'm just going to, like, jog down. Shepard. The only time Shepard actually runs is in combat. If it's out yeah. of combat, it's a light. If you jog. hold down yeah. A and walk into an area, then you start running. You're like, oh, there's enemies just around the corner. Yeah. The only time you-, you can run is the one time that you don't want to run and you want to stay behind cover. It's kind of, it's kind do of you normal. find? Do you find that, like, going around the Citadel as an example, if you press the run button? It, like mm-hmm. doing non-combat thing it makes no difference other than just to make the camera sit behind you rather than off the shoulder yeah, it exactly. seems a bit quicker it's not but it, I always do it's it it's the it saunter quicker. button yeah. it's the meander button it it's the mince the button <laughs> <laughs> anyway um, so, so yeah the uh, this is this is the bit that knocked me on my ass and made me go I don't know how to get out of here the first time I played it and I got stuck and I, I came back to it you know weeks later and I can guarantee that a lot of people going in uh, you know raised on a diet of shooters will just give up at this point because they're like, where am I supposed to go <laughs> yeah but the, that's one of the things that they they clearly improved on in the second game mm. the, the map in the second game was so much more intuitive yeah. and helpful also optional breadcrumb trail would be great I mean in, in Mass Effect 3 you just press down on the stick and it like pointy arrow great that's all you need yeah where am I supposed to be going oh that way not, not, not holding you by the hand but just like every so often when you need to know so not Fable then yeah no Fable um, more like Dead Space actually Dead Space has a really neat kind yes, of like yeah. laser breadcrumb trail when you ask it yeah, that's actually a good idea. Mm. Yeah, the, the I was talking to Paul Gibson about this song. We both agreed that just the the pacing just dies at this point. Yeah, but I think if it explained things a little bit more clearly, like it showed you getting off the ship, so you knew where the ship was, so you go, well, I know where the ship is. I can leave at any time, and I can come back and do these other missions. I was going to say, you're right. You really should be using the rapid transport, not the, not the lifts. Mm. You you get the lifts for the the side missions out in the galaxy, but. Oh, so long. The other thing is that at this point in the game, you've gotten a taster of the com- uh, combat, and you want to do some more. But then they go, no, no combat for you, and then they throw combat at you, like, yeah, okay, oh, it's finished. And then th- this is the point where you're supposed to be learning about the world. But if you force people to learn about the world when they want to fight, then they will just go, come on, skip, 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 skip. Like that. Not everyone. I'm sure plenty of people would would uh, would be very receptive to this. Um, Sharon, for example, would would love the, the finding out about new races and then actually straight out disliked the combat. But the, um, the combat bad, combat yeah. bad in this game. So, but I mean, ultimately, yeah, the, the the thing that is is good about this game and it does well is the interaction and um, Shepard talking to other people. Uh, they they had to balance. Uh, a cinematic feeling of the flow of dialogue with uh, the player being involved. Now, here's the issue. 
because they made it so that like the good answer was always in the same place the bad answer was always in the same place um, if you wanted to be renegade or paragon the querying and digging deeper was always in the same place uh, it, it almost becomes reflexive to the point where if you wanted to you could just not care about what Shepard is saying and just constantly go flick good flick good flick good mm-hmm. just to get the paragon points which sort of pulls you out of the na- nature of playing a role and becomes gaming assistant. This is something they discussed on Kane and Rince. Especially considering you, you make the good answer blue and the bad yeah. answer red. Yeah. Don't make them a different colour. That was actually not... Was that not a decision made, though, yeah. in yeah. order yeah. to it try and them. make it more cinematic, that you don't have to sit there and read what are my available options? Because yeah. even if um, even if it says, like, you're wrong... As as what well, that's what it will print on the screen. If you click that, Shepard won't say you're wrong. He'll come out and say something like you're a prat. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's um it's paraphrasing on the screen what the cutscene will play out. True. And and they they did it for that reason that you could just yeah instinctively go without actually looking at what it said on the screen. But as a result of that, it does take a certain amount of consideration of, out of your answers. For example, Fallout 3 or Dragon Age, you have to read every individual one of the uh, of what you could possibly say and go, right, okay, what are the implications of this answer? And it really does make you consider it, and that it ends up making you play the role more. Unfortunately... It's much more stilted, and it's a lot less cinematic, and the fact that your character doesn't even bloody speak in both of those games makes you feel less like they're even a character. That's the point, though. With Dragon Age 1 and with with Fallout, you are are putting yourself into that role, whereas here you're not. You are playing Shepard. You're playing Shepard how you want to play it, but that's the difference between role-playing and playing a role, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. With with the way Mass Effect does it, though, it's, it's... they try to do something a bit different. You've got the conversation wheel. Basically, anything on the right would would get you through the conversation quicker. Anything to the left, you'd look into it more deeply. So you knew which way to go. If you went um, right and up, it would be uh, a more conciliatory um, response and it, or, or a question. Or, and if you went down, it would be much more uh, aggressive. Uh, it'd be more accusatory. And in the middle would be a more neutral way. So you, if you want to play Paragon and you want to keep things calm you always go right and up or left and up mm. and and so that's how that worked and the red and blue for the um was it intimidate and persuade or whatever the two whatever they're called only only turned up and, and was highlighted after you'd reached a certain level in those mm. two um statistics so i thought it was a great way of doing it because i do find that the the fallout three and the the oblivion uh, Elder Scrolls way of doing it is quite still the Kotor way of doing it is quite stilted it's just a bit just takes too long and it, although it's better role, role playing in, in a certain extent it does tend to grind things to a halt a little bit you can of course play Shepard as a character that doesn't always answer automatically to the Paragon or Renegade and, and you actually think well okay my Shepard tends to be more about the people but has a real problem with authority so you, you can you can actually play um, you can shape your Shepherd that way and actually consider the the responses uh, unfortunately and here is the, the kicker and the fallacy of this um, Paragon Renegade system there's no reward Really, for going somewhere in the middle and answering to, to both sides, it, it actually kind of it. It's not like in Kotor where every good answer you give takes away the impact of a bad answer and, and levels your uh, bar out. You're filling up two bars at once, but you're not becoming super strong in one direction if you if you balance your character. 
Well, the point was in Kotor, you had light side and dark side, depending mm. on what you were playing. That, it that had a literal correlation with your powers and your abilities. Yeah. But where you can, it you doesn't. You can actually glitch it though in this game. Um, there's one of the, one of the, um, the main plot sections where you have to, um, convince someone to testify. You can loop the conversation and get oh, a paragon yeah. point and loop it again and get another paragon point and loop it all the way through, fill up your paragon bar, and then you can start the conversation again and have the renegade point. Jesus, seriously? Yes. Mm. I remember yeah. about that. But, I mean, the, the reason it was, again, the reason it was done is because in, in life, you know, a, a good action doesn't make you less bad and a bad action doesn't make you less yeah. good. You know, it doesn't, one doesn't have a bearing on the other, so to speak. And that's why they did it that way. And if you choose to go somewhere down the middle, you will lose out. You won't gain the paragon of the regain points. That's just the way it is. You will be a much more down the middle person. I, I, again, I thought it was pretty good because you, you could still have a renegade option, but it wouldn't undo the work you'd been doing to fill up your paragon uh, meter, yeah. um, which I thought was certainly for my character, the way I was playing my character worked pretty well because there were certain things he would do that were definitely renegade options. Mm. In certain situations, there'd be, you know, if, if, if someone was holding someone hostage, it'd be a bullet to the forehead. Mm. No question. Let's not muck around here. Whereas anything else, he, I'd always try and take the, 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 the paragon option, the good option, and talk my way out of trouble. I don't think this is just a, a Mass Effect problem. This is a general problem that you use uh, when you come into any game that has sort of the morale, morale system. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There, there's sometimes they, it's handled well when the when your actions affect the people around you. Uh, Dragon Age, and this was, yeah. they mentioned this on Canyon Rents as well, the, um, uh, that if you upset someone by your actions, they would leave. And it's not necessarily something that benefits or, or, or um, diminishes your abilities, but that your actions have consequence on the party. Yeah, Dragon Age, you could cheat though, because they brought in the patch with the treats where you could just buy sugar, can- sugar candies and just uh, max out everyone's loyalties. What? Seriously? Yeah, they patched it so you could have um, trick or treats, and you could um, basically give some like you could just buy a candy sweet and give them like fifty loyalty points straight off. As in, buy it with real money. Well, you, you would buy it with your in-game cash. Yeah. Okay, that's alright. It's the uh, the vendor at the um, at the camp. So that kind of reminds me of the sort of things they did in Fable, where it's like, you know, you, if you, if everything you do will scar you and will change your body and is permanent, except for when we give you these <laughs> potions yeah. that mean that they're not permanent, even death. <sighs> yeah, it's kind of dumb, unfortunately. They do things like that, because I think certain gamers just don't like that. Oh, what do you mean there's party members left? I don't want that. That's not how I envision my game. Well, you acted Reload. like a douche. <laughs> you acted like a douche. What do you expect? Yeah, I don't consider this to be perfect. It is a really good uh, morality system versus a lot of other games, and I would hope that it will be worked upon. And there was actually a, a color wheel that uh, was on extra credits that we discussed with Daniel Floyd back when I was doing Digital Cowboys, that it's not really a sliding scale of going towards the good or towards the bad. Sometimes it's It's more of this giant spectrum that you have this dot that moves around within to do with uh, at the very top you've got the rights of the few and at the uh, bottom you've got the needs of the many 
and you could sort of go up and down on that. And then you've got control on one hand uh, on the left and then chaos on the right. And the idea is that your dot moves around amongst that and is co- in constant flux rather than just being wholly good or wholly bad, which is frankly boring. Especially playing just as a renegade in any game tends to be depressing for me because just having to habitually knee-jerk answer, I do bad things every mm. single time, it doesn't feel yeah. like even a real person would do that. They'd have to be psychotic. Again, I think this is a, a downside to the whole uh, um, morality sort of scale that they've chosen to implement. The only game I can think of that even has anything to do with being neutral yeah. was uh, Fallout 3. Yeah. yeah. I had one for being neutral. They tend they- to tie neutral or neutrality in with the uh, need for material gain. Where uh, they do that with Fable Two, actually, where you're, you're kind of more a Han Solo type who'll do things for money, which isn't necessarily evil or good. Mm. Uh, this uh, problem's been around for a long time, though. D and D had it. Uh, I bet you've all seen like the little meme pictures that are like, you know, lawful good, yeah. chaotic good, and all sort of. They're a strange system because they tend to treat things black and white, and life is never black and white. Yeah. Ultimately, being a well-balanced individual is something to aspire to, surely. Yeah. I no mean, one you can, wants to be an absolutely flawless monk. You can be an absolutely great person, but one bad day and you're going to bite someone's head off. Yeah. Uh, for Mass Effect 2, I'm going to play uh, Shepard, who's been currently, who's been very pretty Paragon with a little bit of uh, Renegade. I'm actually going to play her Renegade with a little bit of Paragon. Uh, that way, because like, I'm going to make the events of the beginning of uh, the uh, second game make her very angry and impatient. Yeah, I'll, I'll like make her sort of role play it so that there'll be times when she'll be kind, but most of the time she just wants to get the job done. When I first played through the series, I played through just as good. I know, I know that sounds very boring, but mm. I wanted to experience the good side and then go back and play the bad side. But with this playthrough, uh, playing through the series again for the podcast, I wanted to actually make Shepard what I, do what I would do. So if somebody peed me off in the game. I wouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt like I did before. I would have a go at them. So, for example, the council. I I did not like the council. Mm. Um, so every single time that the option came up to re- um, give them my report at the end of a mission, I just <laughs> disconnected. And some of the, the, the dialogue between the council and Shepard, every time I was disconnecting from them, was, was brilliant. Nice. It's it's. I, I, did anyone else do that? Or yeah, I, I I generally like I said was was mostly good, but I have a real problem. My shepherd has a real problem with authority. So every time the council want to do their paperwork, I don't want to know. So you refused yeah. to let the guy inspect the ship as well. I don't remember. Did that happen? Yeah, yeah when, yeah, when you land yeah. back on the ship the oh, first time, there's oh, someone waiting yes. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, didn't didn't let that happen. Nah, didn't like um, that guy. The the, the thing that I I only really saw for the first time i i knew that shepherd went round punching reporters mm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but th- this playthrough i'm i've renamed my shepherd it's not john shepherd it's douchebag shepherd <laughs> and i am i am playing specifically to pick the the just naffest douchiest answers and uh, so when i when i landed back on the norman uh, landed normandy back on the citadel and there's the reporter waiting saying oh you've been made a spectre do you want to talk about it you know and i'm going uh, I'll talk, but some some answers are, uh, are classified. And then you get two or three questions, 
And then she starts like, you know, being pro-human and all this. And I chose the answer of, I think it said something like, oh, this interview's over. Oh, I, I just decked her. Deck that reporter in all three games, but don't do it in the third one. That's my tip. <laughs> no, well, there's there's a different reporter. I'm because I'm, I'm sure you can do it to someone else. Um, I then when I got back on the on the Normandy, it came over the tunnel. I'd ha- I'd hack it going. Yes, uh, this is the fifth fleet. Um, yeah, your broadcast has gone out, and we're not happy. <laughs> and it's like suddenly you've been publicised for going around beating up reporters. <laughs> I've punched her before, but always as femship. So the idea of this big, bulky, shaven-headed space marine punching a fragile woman in the face. For daring to ask Oh, no, you gut puncher. Oh, gut punch. Oh, that's all right, then. <laughs> and it, and it comes <laughs> up to... <laughs> Body Body punch to Fox News reporters. I think, ultimately, that it should have put in um, uh, brackets, this interview is over, deck her. <laughs> yeah. Just so you knew what you were getting into at that point. That's, that's why, in Mass Effect 2, they did the whole trigger system. So when you did something like mm. that, you knew Ooh. it's going to be a trigger, not when you, you you choose to say something, you're going to punch someone. We'll talk about that next month, but what a way to liven up conversations and make you like always on the triggers going, oh, what could happen? And pay attention. Yeah. Um, okay, right. So on, on that note, relationships and uh, love scenes. Now, we could talk about Fox News in a second, but um, the, you know what? Let's go. Let's. Fox News first, and then we'll talk about relationships and love scenes in a a mature fashion, shall we? Okay. Mass Effect has an optional romantic subplot. Shepard can develop a relationship with a human party member or with blue-skinned alien. The couple can become more intimate near the end of the game. A cutscene then shows a series of fast cuts suggesting a sexual encounter has occurred, although no sex acts or depictions of nudity are shown at all. A New York Times article compared the contents to US Evening Network television. The first scene came under fire in neoconservative blogger Kevin McCullough's article, The Sex Box Race for President. McCullough employed strong, false statements such as, Mass Effect can be customized to sodomize whatever, whomever, however the game player wishes, and with its over-the-net capabilities, virtual orgasmic rape is just the push of a button away. <laughs> I must have missed that one. I definitely know that side quest. Yeah. I Mac- thought I'd played the entire game myself. There we go. Mac- McCullough's uh, article was met with outrage from the gaming community, justifiably. McCullough issued an apology by saying, I do apologise to the gaming universe. He went on to say, I still do concur with my original position that the objectionable context of Mass Effect is still offensive. Well, that can't be considered empirical because offensiveness is entirely subjective. McCullough's handling of the situation was parodied by popular gaming webcomic Penny Arcade and online comedy site Loading Ready Run. Uh, uh, Penny Arcade's gist was that ultimately insulting all these gamers put him on the map and it gave him, you know, 10,000 responses to his shitty article. Suddenly he became personality overnight. It's Just what we call, uh, you know, headline baiting, isn't cheap it? Cheap-ass tactics. Uh, his host website eventually took down the article. Even long-time anti-obscenity campaigner Jack Thompson said about the controversy, the guy who shot his mouth off about it had no idea what the hell he was talking about. This contrived controversy is absolutely ridiculous. And that was Jack Thompson saying yeah. that. He's been known to spout some crap himself. 
<laughs> so yeah, that, that kind of sparked off Fox News, who were like just looking for a scoop. And on January 21st, 2008, so this would have been uh, less than two months after it came out, uh, Fox News segment, uh, the live desk with Martha McCallum, discussed Mass Effect with the heading, Sex Box. <laughs> And I'm going to play a clip for you now, folks. Uh, and Paul, oh. Paul, just think, put yourself in the shoes of poor Jeff Keighley, the uh, guy who was uh, brought in to try to legitimize this game. He's given all of about three seconds to actually start speaking some sense. Okay. And is ignored. And is ignored and shouted down. Pretty amazing stuff. I was looking at it a little bit this afternoon. It's oh, you looked at it a little bit this afternoon. Well, continue, because we're going to get some expert opinion here. It's a, a new role-playing video game that is leaving nothing to the imagination. Wrong. Mass Effect is what it's called. Uh, it's made for Microsoft's Xbox system, and it features some, in some parts of this, you'll see full uh, digital nudity. No, you won't. Imagine. And the ability for the players to engage in graphic sex, and the, the person who's playing the game gets to decide exactly what's going to happen between the two people, if you know what I mean. No, they don't. Now, the game is rated M for mature. However, critics say that Mass Effect is being marketed to kids and to teenagers. Microsoft responded to these claims and said that they were inaccurate. They released this statement that reads in part, we actively support and abide by all video game rating systems and provide built-in industry-leading technology such as parental controls and a family timer that empowers parents and caregivers to monitor their children's experience with video games, notably with respect to content, online interactions, and the amount of time spent playing. Cooper Lawrence is a psychology specialist, radio talk show host, and the author of the new book, The Cult of Perfection. And Jeff Keeley is a game expert with Spike TV. Welcome uh, to both of you. Uh, you know, Cooper, it, it sort of cracks me up whenever I hear a, a company say that, you know, there's all these controls in there that you can monitor the time and you can, you know, but basically the box, Pandora's box is open. I mean, kids have access to these things and unless you're hovering over them every second, they're going to find ways to see this stuff uh, on the internet. How damaging is it really? Mass Effect, not at all. Well, the thing is, you know, it's the, the whole concept of like 13 year olds have never seen Playboy because they're not supposed to. Playboy, also not damaging to society. It's that idea that, I mean, let's, let's talk about who the video game is for. It might be for adults, but if you look at the statistics, who is playing video games but adolescent males, not their dads. The two are not mutually exclusive, Cooper. So that's the first thing. The damage is this. We know that all the research shows that violence has a... Um, However you finish that sentence, Cooper, you're going to be wrong. Desensitizing effect. Well, sexuality does too, because this is when the developing mind is happening. This is when they're first deciding who they're going to be, who their identity is. This is when social development is happening. And here's how they're seeing women. They're seeing them as these, as these objects of desire, as these, you know. Intelligent, professional, decisive spaceship commander. Hot bodies. I mean, they don't, they don't show women as being valued for anything other than their sexuality. That certainly applies to many, many crappy games, but not this one. And it's a man in this game deciding right. how many women he wants to be with. I think he decides a bit more than that, Cooper. Or she. All right, let's get Jeff in on this. All right, that's uh, com go ahead, completely Jeff. incorrect. Yeah, it's completely incorrect. First of all, you can actually play as a man or a woman in the game. Cooper, have you ever played Mass Effect? <laughs> no. Well, then all of your points are entirely invalid. Right. Well, I think the fact is you talked about, you know, another thing that you mentioned is that how it's, you know, has full graphic nudity. That's completely incorrect. 
Uh, there's no full nudity in this game. There's the side of an alien boob, which can be seen. It's uh, a small sexual situation in this game, which is about two minutes out of a 30-plus hour experience and Jeff, to destroy this character, something. Commander Shepard. Yeah, sorry, Jeff. What you're saying is devastating to our case. Jeff, let me ask you a question. I, I have not played this game. I went on the website today. I clicked on a lot of different trailers. I tried to learn as much about it uh, as I right. could before we did this. You know, it's Sadly, reading through a right-wing blog written by someone who also hadn't played the game did not glean the necessary information. It's interesting. When you click on it, it asks you your age. It says you must go through a scanning process. So I thought, oh, this is going to take forever. Okay, so I, I put in my age. Yeah, it must have taken you ages to enter 43. And then, boom, you're in. No problem. So that is a pretty easy right. screen to get past. There's nothing graphic that I saw on the front, you know, the pages that I looked at on the Internet. That would be because EA were not marketing this based on its one love scene. Uh, but it does beg the question, you know, how what it does to kids in terms of how they think about violence and sexuality because they're, you know, engaged and, and blowing people away in these. I'd say most of the time they're shooting robots or aliens or alien robots. And it does absolutely nothing. Well, I think what's what's interesting about this, we talk about, you know, sexuality in the media. One of the great things about Mass Effect, for people that have played it, know this. This is a, a sort of a choose-your-own-adventure story, and it doesn't force you down in any situation. You can actually play through this game without the sexual situation ever happening Right, and the young the boys game. are going to be choosing not to have sex. That'll be what they'll choose. I mean, no, let's be realistic here. No, because it's not a it's simple a... choice, but Cooper, it's not a simple choice. You don't turn to the game and says, would you like to have sex or not? It's through the evolution of a relationship with characters and the fact that this game has incredible artificial intelligence and you can actually fall in love in this game. And it's the it's just like modeling your life. And I think that's a much more powerful form of media. Darlin, I got to go with the research. And the research says there's a new study at a University of Maryland right now that says that boys that play video games cannot tell the difference mm -hmm. between what they're seeing in a video game in the All real right, world go. if they don't have a real experience. Sorry, that sounds like there was some actual science behind that. Could you actually show your workings out? Genetically pedophiles have more genes in common with crabs than they do with you and me. Now that is scientific fact. There's no real evidence for it, but it is scientific fact. This is why we need an accredited study from an independent body like the CDC. All right, Jeff, well, thank you. It's a very it's a fascinating game, and I'm amazed at just the you know artistry and what you're what it looks like. It's Let me absolutely add phenomenal. It's a fantastic uh, Cooper, go. game, and sex is a small little part of it. <laughs> All right, thank you very much to Jeff and Cooper. Let's go around the panel really quickly and get your thoughts on this. Oh, I forgot they got a panel of morons as well. So yeah, let's get rid of the one guy on this entire show who knows anything about Mass Effect and ask people who don't know anything about Mass Effect what they think. You know, when you buy video games, which I just had my very first experience doing recently because I, I swore them off until this past Christmas when I said, okay, I'm going to break down. But you just you have to pick up the box and look at the back for the rating. Again, picking up a box and looking on the back sounds exhausting. And then, you know, I mean, you have to be involved in what your kids are, are looking at. What do you think about Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I just, last week, uh, bought Princess Enchanted Brides uh, for my six-year-old daughter. And a Google search for Princess Enchanted Brides yielded only a picture of this man's face. And I'm not very good at these things. Oh, names. that's not for six-year-olds, Grab. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> with this, you know, princess, uh, whoever, like, trying to get to the next stage, and you're just in the room, like, you have to figure it out. I'm not very good at it. But I will say this. Look, who can argue possibly that, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker meets Debbie Does Dallas is a good thing. It's not. It's just not good. Did you hear that loud cracking sound? That was 10 million face palms. And I'm definitely yeah. not going to let uh, Mass Effect in my house. All this things yeah. with MA on the back. Mature it, audience. And design. then the thing is, is once it's in the house, that's the thing. There's uh -huh. a lot of grown men that love video games. Let's right. be honest here. But once it's in the house, we live in a day and age where our children are not always supervised. As opposed to in Victorian times where they were constantly monitored by a cadre of trained babysitting professionals 
and nothing bad ever happened to children ever. It's not the days of the Playboy magazine when a lot of moms were at home for the majority of the day. Many kids let themselves in after school. They have time. What do you think a young boy's going to do? I want to play my dad's video game while he's not here, and I think that's dangerous. There actually is something to be said for this argument, flawed though it may be. But its roots are in parental involvement, not limiting content within games. It should not be up to EA to treat everybody like a six-year-old child. We really have to watch this. I, w- I want to buy the game where Lauren fights Chuck Norris. <laughs> wanna- it's coming out at Christmas. We'll, we'll give you all the details. Yeah, I'm not sure why it didn't get an adults-only rating. That's the highest rating that get- it can have. So th- a because it could not be sold in 99% of stores in America, which is a death sentence to a game. And B, because that rating is reserved for games with explicit content, almost always on PC, and almost always extremely sexual in nature, which this isn't. First of all, this board that rates them needs to have their head examined. Why? They've played the game, you haven't. And this made me feel old watching this. What happened to Atari and Pinball and Pac-Man? Well, first there was the mid-80s, then there was the early 90s, then the mid-90s, then the late 90s. And then seven years, five console generations, the internet, the maturing of the children who were originally playing these games, the progression of the medium as a whole, a technological evolution, a communication age the likes of which the Earth has never experienced. You're like a person staring at a space shuttle and asking whatever happened to a rickety cart and a haggard donkey. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I mean, this is an incredibly sophisticated. I mean, it's like watching a full feature film, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredibly sophisticated. But we have to be careful here. Let's face it. There's all kinds of bad stuff coming through the internet, through video games, and the reality is, I would argue, that the government cannot and should not censor everything coming across the web and in video games. At the end of the day, it's just like Chet said. It's up to parents to control what their kids are seeing. It is, unfortunately, and it makes being a parent a much harder job, mm-hmm, I think, sure. than it used to be because there's just such a Blood. And also you can access things on the internet and download them. So you're thinking, if I don't buy it, it'll be okay. But there's all kinds of ways to access, even on your phone, uh, to access this stuff. So it's tough, not easy being a parent, but interesting uh, to take a look at that. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Stay with us. It's interesting to hear her say that, because even though it is challenging, I'm kind of looking forward to guiding Lyra through all of this stuff. I'm not frightened. And I don't think most of the kids are either. By the way, Mass Effect 1's certificate with the BBFC, who are probably the most respected, least hysterical certification body in existence, was a 12. Okay, so we'll play the clip. Did you guys all watch it? Yeah. Yeah. Good. I, okay. I even used, I actually used part of that video in my video review as well. Anger. Oh. It's bringing back all the anger oh. of the Alan Titchmarsh show a few years ago with oh god that was even worse oh god <laughs> Electronic Arts Bioware's parent company requested a co- correction of serious errors from Fox News in an open letter Fox News responded that EA had been offered a chance to appear on the channel so um Jeff Keeley was not representing EA he was from Spike TV uh, but basically EA could have sent a representative along to say, sorry, that's bollocks. But they didn't. They didn't give Fox the uh, uh, the time of day, and ultimately Fox have basically said, look, we can lie if we want. You could have come on to correct us, but, you know, you didn't. So, you know, what's done is done, in the usual Fox fashion. On the 25th, Cooper Lawrence, who had since watched someone play the game for about two and a half hours, retracted her earlier statement in an interview. She added that she had been told the game was similar to pornography and noted that uh, she had seen episodes of Lost that are more sexually explicit. 
In the interim, largely as a reaction from the unoffended gaming community, her latest book attracted hundreds of customer reviews on Amazon.com, which rated it one star out of five. Many of these reviews satirically noted that they had not read her book, but heard from someone else that the book was bad and thus voted low. That's, <laughs> that's somewhat unfair to her, but at the same time, she could have done research before coming on national television and decrying something. And admitting that she'd not played it as well. Yeah. Oh, actually, on the TV. I, I, I have difficulty feeling anger towards Paul Cooper because she's effectively been defamed by this foolish action on her part. But I am furious still with Fox News for this ridiculous editorial. Uh, I, I don't want to get too much into detail, but let's put it this way. A while back, Fox won a court case in the United States, which basically said they were allowed to make stuff up. <laughs> That's not a joke. Folks, it's entertainment news. That's, unlike here, where you, uh, if it's, say, the BBC, they have to um, be impartial. They don't, it's not always the case, I admit, but you know what I'm saying, it's not to the extent of Fox News. In an editorial, G4's Adam Sessler referred to the interview as a litany of falsehoods and parodied Lawrence's statements. The controversy came to be known for the fact that the most explicit content actually shown was the side profile of a breast and led to the popularization of the internet meme, Alien side boob. The actual relationship side of the game, you can't, as a woman, have sex with Kaiden and then Liara. Uh, you certainly can't have sex with Ashley. She's, she doesn't swing that way. As a man, you can't have sex with Ashley and Liara. You literally have to choose one. So it's almost like it's funneling it, you into this sort of, you know... And you can also maintain this relationship throughout the three games. Yep. That's yep. not really a major spoiler, but... Um, both Liara and Kaiden and Ashley only have cameos in Mass Effect 2, but all of them that are alive will come back for 3. So if you started a relationship here, you can resume it in 3. Now, if that is not wholesome values and actually an accurate rendition of what could happen if you bond with someone and then have an intense relationship with them and then spend some time apart and then meet them again, I don't know what is. The sexual aspects of this game, I could frankly have seen a lot more. Uh, but but more out of a sense of the human experience and, and less of a sense of, uh, I've got porn sites that I can check out and stuff like that. For yeah, it's the relationship side is much more interesting. And just talking to the characters in this game is a very rewarding experience. Yeah. <clears throat> Unless it's good. Yeah. fleet could secure the entire region. Keep the Geth from attacking any more of our colonies. Or it could trigger a war with the Terminus systems. We won't be dragged into a galactic confrontation over a few dozen human colonies. I can take Saren down. The commander's right. There is a way to stop Saren that doesn't require fleets or armies. No. It's too soon. Humanity is not ready for the responsibilities that come with joining the Spectres. I faced Saren on Eden Prime and exposed him for a traitor. I've proven myself. Commander Shepard. Step forward. It is the decision of the Council that you be granted all the powers and privileges of the Special Tactics and Reconnaissance Branch of the Citadel. Spectres are not trained, but chosen. Individuals forged in the fire of service and battle. Those whose actions elevate them above the rank and file. Spectres are an ideal, a symbol, the embodiment of courage, determination, and self-reliance. 
They are the right hand of the council, instruments of our will. Spectres bear a great burden. They are protectors of galactic peace, both our first and last line of defense. The safety of the galaxy is theirs to uphold. You are the first human Spectre, Commander. This is a great accomplishment for you and your entire species. I'm honored, Counselor. We're sending you into the Traverse after Saren. He's a fugitive from justice, so you are authorized to use any means necessary to apprehend or eliminate him. I'll find him. This meeting of the Council is adjourned. The Mako sections. Uh, Everyone else want to groan? Uh, do you know what? I did. I like them. The, I like them. I just thought that they could have been improved. I, did, I, I was sad to see them go entirely for two. Yeah. Um, but they, they did need some work. The controls were a bit shonky, and and they, yeah, it wasn't perfect. But I, I quite like the Mako. I'm fairly fond of the, the old beast, to be honest. Bear in mind that I, having played um, the. I think it's, it's not the Cerberus pack, is it? Um, the Hammerhead. Yeah, the Hammerhead on on um, on Mass Effect Two. That, in comparison to this, is a is a plane. <laughs> <laughs> the, but at the same time, if I hadn't have played Borderlands and tried to drive in that, the Mako would would have been a nightmare. But it's the same physique, uh, same style of driving with a Warthog in Halo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and for all the the amount that people moan and bitch about it, they very quickly overlook it when it's the same style control method in other games that they love. Interjection. Um, my my main issue with the Mako is actually that there's lava uh, on the, the first planet you go to. Right, the first planet, Therum. Uh, so you're driving around, and um, if you blunder into lava... You die straight away, bam, 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 bam. Not even like, don't get close to the lava, just like straight away die. And if you've gone uh, quite far and haven't saved, you're all the way back to the beginning of the planet. And that's happened to me twice in two different playthroughs. And it's like, I haven't got better with the Mako by the second playthrough? Seriously? That's appalling. The funny thing with the Mako is once you get used to it, you can drive that thing up a vertical cliff almost. Yeah. It, it's just it's a difficult one to, to get used to, and they dump you on a planet covered in lava. Mustafar. And, and put it this way, this is one that console gamers are going to love. You've got the better controls. I just got there on the PC, and the controls are worse. I can't imagine how awful it is. <laughs> so, so, so basically, you control the, the Mako on the console like you would a Warthog. You know, you sort of if you want to turn it, it's on the right stick, forward, back on on the left. The PC doesn't do that. Mm. You can rotate the camera with the mouse, fine. To go forward, it's W. To go back, it's S. To drive and go left, it's A. And to drive and go right, it's S. And it's basically strafe. And it's. Yeah horribly hard but, oh god that you, sounds awful you do get that on the console though because the the right stick just changes the camera yeah. yeah so you can have the camera panning one way hit left on the on your left thumbstick and still spin it off in the other direction yeah i, I think you can't just go straight and, and aim to the right you, you can but it's really difficult because as soon as you change the camera you start steering to the right if you're looking that mm, way yeah. so you have to steer to the left to keep going straight and then you go end up going in circles so you can't just go forward and backwards in and out of cover because you end up just turning around and then driving straight towards whatever you're trying to hide from and and that's really the issue is that that you need yeah. like a, just a forward and a back option just up goes forward back down goes back 
regardless of where the camera is. That oh. would make it infinitely better. Also, in the Warthog and Halo, someone else is going to be doing your shooting for you. You don't, uh, you don't have to do the shooting in the Warthog unless you're just doing the shooting. In, with yeah. the Mako, you've got to do both. And unfortunately, they've arranged it so that you have to be on the same radial plane as whatever you're shooting at. You can't shoot up uh, a gun emplacement 10 meters up on a, on a hillock. Uh, it'll go, sorry, I just, you know, I'm firing up, but it's not really going to actually hit it. You have no. to drive up the hill, stand right in front of it, and start shooting. And then no, it just can. becomes a case of bounce. You certainly can shoot down, because you, can, um, you can get on a cliff face and shoot the people in the valley below. Is that right? No, you, you can, can do, but if you, the closer you get, the worse it is. You, yeah, you, no, that was it. It's fine, but as soon as you get closer, yeah, you can't tilt the... The, the gun the the cursor will move but the gun itself won't actually elevate enough and then and you end up just shooting below them yeah. there have been times when I end up all running over Geth that I'm getting close to because it's easier and quicker but like <laughs> if you just miss one by one millimetre then somehow negotiating the maker around to then run it over becomes a chore yeah, but if oh, you get yeah. out and shoot them on foot anyway, you get more experience points. Yeah, oh. same with the Armitage as well. Just don't do it with the Thresher more. Armature, <laughs> not Armitage. Armitage <laughs> make toilets. <laughs> I don't want to sit on a Geth toilet. It'll go... <laughs> 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 oh, I think yeah, that's horrible. But yeah, the, I like the bounciness. I, I like the Mako in theory. And I'd really like to see it handled well, but... um. But yeah, this this first system has has, has flaws. It is great because you can, if you do it, time it right, you can jump over enemy fire, which is kind yeah. of funny. Yeah. But yeah. you can. All, uh, there are videos where people have literally driven it at full speed and um, and jumped over barriers into the like the compound behind. Nice. Okay. It's, it takes it takes a bit of timing to do it, but <laughs> but you can do it. It's just like you said, Neil. With enough practice, you can you can make it almost go up a vertical cliff. Which I have done on the console version because it's a hell of a lot easier than trying to find the correct yeah. way sometimes. Unless it involves those bloody space monkeys, then aim for them. The other thing is that most of the time you're driving around in a horrible featureless quarry with the only feature being lava. Uh, the, the bit in the tunnels on, um, is it Novaria? Novaria's the ice. On oh no, no, it's Ferros with the Ferros, Ferros is where you've got the, um, yeah. The yeah, bridge. You, dri- you drive across the bridge, yeah. Yeah, that's a bit more interesting, although there were times when I just sort of ended up, I, I was hanging on the edge and I was like, right, don't go over the edge. <laughs> I'm going to push the stick away from the edge. And it goes, I'm going to go for you. Bam, 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 bam. You fucking asshole. And, and, and who thought it was a good idea in a certain point of this game to give you a time limit to get to a destination when in the Mako? I, I would like to see it brought back in future games done well. Which is kind of funny, because if I remember correctly, the Mako appears in some of the, the trailers for Mass Effect 3. It did. Not gameplay, yeah. but the, the CGI trailers. Yeah. Well, it's, it's in, it's, it is in the game. It's as iconic as the uh, Halo Warhog for this particular... Also, I don't know if, how many of you guys are old enough to remember this. It's based on Big Track, obviously oh, yes. so. <laughs> Clearly so. Um... What, Actually, I would say it, it, it seems yeah, to be this weird mix between the, you the Halo two kids. <laughs> I, I was, was going to say it seems like a curious mix between the the Halo Warthog and the Colonial Marines tank thing. Uh, the APC. The APC. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The wheels are very similar. It's, it's certainly got a bit of that to it. I mean, it's basically it's, it's a militarized um, big track, isn't it? Really. It really okay. yeah, we we pasting... don't talk about Colonial Marines. I am, yeah, I should mention that now. I am pasting Big Track now for Jerome and James to look at. Okay. They did a relaunch of Big years. Track a few years back. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, it was just for dads. 
And a big track <laughs> junior, in fact. So small track? So, yeah, <laughs> Medium-sized track. But I, I know exactly what that is. You can program it to go so many paces forward, can't you? Because I, I remember something like that. But yeah, I just like, like that. It would take you seven days to program it to drive three feet. <laughs> you can't technically do that if you really want to carry an apple that far in that amount of time. It was somewhere between a remote control car and a computer programming device. So it, it trained us in both. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, I have mixed feelings on the Mako, but uh, playing the individual levels in Mass Effect One made me grind my teeth. But I do have a fondness for it as a machine. Just play it with a keyboard. See how much you like it. Then I don't want to play it with a keyboard. It sounds awful. It is, what? and I've got so many more levels to go. Speaking you know of what, <laughs> what the worst thing was about the Mako, what right for the uninitiated is not realizing that you have one button for cannons. And want to shoot your own rockets. Yeah. Oh. So the first time you oh, rush yeah. against a thresher more, you're there for 15 minutes. Plugging <laughs> away with the same gun. And the yeah. same with the turrets that pop up out the ground. I didn't mean you, you think you can stand there and shoot them all, but no, you're there three seconds and you're exploded. Oh yeah, that is a pain in the arse when you come across a load of geth, all rocket troopers. Oh. There's no, no, just the actual turrets that pop up out the ground, and then you it's not until later you realise, oh yeah, you go forward, let them pop up, take a shot and go back, and then they go back into the ground again. There's something particularly awful about dying in this first Mass Effect game, that boom, 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 boom. Yeah. It's like I've never died to reload? in Mass Effect 1 and thought, yeah, that was my fault. I've always thought, for God's sake! So it's something that gets yeah. you killed, not you, not just you. Yeah. The polar opposite is Mark of the Ninja, where you can see where you went wrong. And uh, it, it, this is is more a case of if you die, it's just irritation. Do you suffer from most... suicidal teammates that spend more of the get more of the level dead than they do alive? I, you know what? I was playing it on casual. Didn't happen. I, thus, I only think I died like twice in this game, and I think both times were because of the sodding maker. Oh, I don't <laughs> die, but they do. <laughs> yeah, no. Gareth is particularly prone to that. He tends to take it, and uh, he tends to do some serious damage, and then take an early, an early shower, and just lie there. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> just off. Like, Gareth, so Unity, he comes back up, and before you have a chance to heal him, oh, he's down again for fuck. I so. didn't use Unity once. I spent ages oh, powering up Unity. On, and never used it. I was playing on. Um, I started playing on casual and I, I bumped it up to normal because it was just a bit too easy on, yeah. on casual. Um, and I, I, I was about to drop it back down again in the final bit against uh, Saren because against Saren, Garrus was particularly useless. Yeah. Just cause spending all his time. I used Unity so many times in that final fight. Yeah. The, the oh, trouble with you seriously have to make sure he's not using the sniper rifle half the time. Yeah. Mm. Oh, put it down. Tally, Tally, you're shooting people on the other side of the room. Put the shotgun away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember having to manhandle any of my uh, teammates in Mass Effect Two. I think they're a bit smarter. The, the, yeah, the AI was, got improved, yeah. much better. You could also give independent team orders in two. Yes. Okay. Speaking of horrible things, the last thing before we go into characters, the inventory system. <laughs> doesn't immediately strike you as being particularly bad the first thing that strikes you is when you go to the shop and you're like oh okay how much is this 10 million space credits for a slightly <laughs> better gun are you flipping kidding me the, the way I explain this is 
I was sort of annoyed that they took it out in Mass Effect 2 because I spent so much time in Mass Effect 1 mastering the learning the it. System. Yeah. And then they go, well, take it away, it's stupid. I got that down! I spent all yeah. this time and you took it out. It will help you for replay plays of Mass Effect 1 and that alone. Yeah. yeah. The, the issue I had with the inventory system was uh, basically the, as it got full, you got to that 150 item limit, mm. whatever. And then you'd have to go and convert a load of stuff to. to um, um, which took. <laughs> such a long time to navigate because you'd always go back up to the top of the list where all the good stuff yeah. was you go all the way back down to the bottom where the shit stuff was and every, every time you convert each single one back up to the top scroll all the way down it took so long to do it was even and worse it, than oh. that because the first time you, you when you got to your max limit you'd go um, inventory or items or whatever it was and then it'd go, oh, here's all the things that you've got that you don't haven't actually put into your category yet. You've got to sort through all of these and bin yeah. them all before you get... Yeah. You might have some no, good no stuff in there that you can't... Omni gel would have been great. That, that would have been a great button to press. But you but... might have some great stuff there. You can't bank it. You have to clear that screen before you can see into what's already in your pockets. And yeah. you know what? It's actually filling your inventory and hitting you, making you hit that limit the most. All of the those. mods. Yeah, the mods. Yeah. Sold those mods. I didn't even use them in the first game. I, I, I don't know why, but the, the first time I played through, I didn't mod any of my weapons. I think I was saving them. I, 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 think, in, I think in this playthrough, I finished the game with the gun I started with. Jesus. Because I just didn't bother going into the inventory system yeah. because it's that bad. I what? was like, no, I'm not going there. I'm just I, the, issue, the issue is that if, if you had, if when you get, you've got, I don't know, what, um, frictionless materials one, and then you get ten, ten, varying degrees of each each mod mm. if when you when you find three it wipes out all the ones and twos automatically that would be great I'd be happy with if them. it automatically yeah. equipped automatically. it that would be good yeah, yeah but it automatically converts any lower levels into uh, Omnigel and then equip replaces in it, uh, with a higher level if you've got one equipped that would be great because it's not like you need one for each weapon it's just oh, it's just too many bits just lying around it takes too long to get rid of mm. so I'm always there up around that sort of you're getting close to your 150 okay I better convert a few things and I just forget it for a bit until I get to the next bit because it's just too unwieldy to use if you could select a lot of things and get rid of all of them in one go but you have to do it one at a time every single time every time I got a shotgun I would go to the lockers and go <laughs> right okay Rex gets the best shotgun Tally gets the second best Ashley gets the third best and just keep like swapping and swapping down and down and down so Tali would get Rex's Ashley would get Tali's and it was just this, this sense of hand-me-down the, the whole time uh, yep. sorry I was just going to say I, I never got that bothered by it because I was already in this frame of mind of you keep the same two characters yeah. so I never gave anything to the characters mm. I never took with me course, there was yeah. no no hint that I was ever going to use them so for people who haven't played it you've just got so much stuff and it's, it's got this particular, it's, got, it's, it's so granular in the way that one is different from the other by one stat point or something like that. So you spend ages just staring at them and flipping through until you realize it really doesn't matter all that much because you're playing it on casual anyway. Ultimately, the inventory, I found that in the, by the end of the game, I was just chucking all my stuff at the vendor. I ended up with 10 million space credits, so I could buy the yeah. super powerful assault rifle and the best armor. But it's only at the very end of the game where you can use vendors because it's ridiculous otherwise. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm used to shop systems where they've got 
like everything you, you could have picked up when you were going through the previous section and maybe one slight, you know, next one up from what you're currently holding. Not here are the best weapons in the entire game at prices you couldn't possibly afford. It's the <laughs> point of shops like that. Ah, uh, yeah, but you've also got to go around and buy the licenses. Oh, yeah. God. Is it in every vendor to go, can I, can I buy that on my own ship, please, so I never have to come back here ever again? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the adventure system was, was badly implemented, but what I did like was the, the, the ability to tailor individual weapons to do individual things because I always yeah. used to have my sniper rifle basically being a massively powerful, but you could only fire it once. It'd overheat and take quite a while to settle back down. Yeah. That's how I used the sniper rifle. And then my assault rifle would fire, it wouldn't be nearly so powerful, but it wouldn't ever overheat because it's then just uh, you can just spray bullets everywhere. And that's how I use that. You don't get to do that with Mass Effect 2 or 3 because they've, they've, just nerfed the inventory system so much it's just you get one option you get to change your ammo type and that's it really yeah. uh, and I, I again with the same with the Mako they went okay people didn't like this scrap it entirely throw it out right bollocks we're not having it anymore we'll do something else instead they didn't Rather refine going, yeah. people don't like this what are the things they don't like okay we'll change those and then we'll make this better they yeah. did, again they, they sort of had a bit of a knee jerk reaction to it which is in some ways is a shame I'd have liked to add a bit more of a, a detailed inventory system too character section we're going to start with commander shepherd who for me may be my favorite character in video games male or female female specifically i've not i've never played through um i've gotten halfway through the first game with mark mir's male shepherd the trouble is mark mir in the first game he's not doing a very he's completely outclassed by jennifer hale the later games i've heard he's got he does get better two he gets better and three gets a lot better but this first one he's really outclassed by jennifer hale when i play through mass effect 2 next after this or after this one for the podcast with femship i will start with male shepherd every time i play through these games i always try to be the same shepherd and make the same decisions and try to keep it as close to re-watching a beloved film as possible which makes it a bit less fascinating because it, it feels more familiar and it feels more right but um, there's less of a sense of interactivity about it so I'm actually trying for this these playthroughs to actually you know, change my class change my attitudes yeah, it's an awkward one I think you fall into the trap of having Shepard play you play Shepard your way yeah so it is like that so you want it to be that sort of filmic experience because it might limit you but that's your Shepard and I think when we get to three this is where some of this we might get into arguments about but it's your Shepard you play it how you want and uh, Shepard is a, a great character and I'm probably with you I think the only character that I love just as much as Shepard is strangely enough Hawk female Hawk from Dragon Age 2 I really like her as well do you rate Dragon Age 2? Because I've never played it. I 
fighting. Yes, I, I do. I admit it's got more problems. It's got some very bad corner cutting, but the story-wise and the idea behind it is fantastic, and Female Hulk is great in that. See, I couldn't get through the first Dragon Age game. I had real problems Skip with it. Skip straight to two, because oh, yeah? They yeah. Are, it plays more like Mass Effect, to be honest. I will take Basically, you up on that. They acknowledged the fact that combat was a bit of a slug. Well, I hey, tend to think... I think it's because Dragon Age, I don't think, was meant to be a console game. No. No, no, that was definitely... It doesn't work on consoles. doesn't work on consoles. I think they may, they may have brought it out to consoles because of the success of Mass Effect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, Commander Shepard, appraise the character without trying to get too bogged down with your specific choices. That's kind of tough. It is, isn't uh, it? You can't, because the thing is, Shepard is a different character, depending on, on what you, you choose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the way, and the thing is, it's always going to be your Shepard, the one, the Shepard you play. I mean, the Shepard I play is different to the Shepard that you all play. Yeah. And it's not really someone you can talk about, because it's someone you have to create and then learn about as you play the game. I think whichever way round you develop your Shepard, male, female, um, paragon, renegade, neutral... It's it's the character that you find yourself endeared to because mm. I've I've played through two and three the first time round for me um, with a, a full on paragon and I really enjoyed it played through as a as a renegade with a male ship didn't enjoy it quite so much played through Mass Effect one male uh, female ship paragon again enjoyed it playing through now as a male douchebag ship and I'm really enjoying it. And and it's it's a completely different story for me because of the interactions with the characters. The other great thing to point out about Shepard is that lovely debate about silent protagonist versus spoken protagonist. This is the one you point to and say, this is the pinnacle of spoken protagonists because yeah. Yeah. each Shepard is different and means something different to every person. My Shepard is not the same as Jerome's or Alex's or Midge's. It's, you know, we may make similar choices, but that's, you know, that Shepard is not going to be Midge's because it's mine. And same way around. The beauty about Mass Effect and creating your Shepard, it's not just creating the appearance. Like a lot of RPGs, you can create their appearance, you can change their armour, you can change their first name. Like I, I named mine Hannah because um, I played Fem Shep. But also the fact that you can give your Shepard a backstory that you want to explore and have reference to throughout the series, I think that adds a greater depth yeah, to your Shepard. Cause Especially if you're a war hero, um, soul, soul survivor, survivor, and there's a, I can't remember the other one. Um, Ruthless. That's the one, yeah. And um, it gets mentioned throughout the game, it gets brought up in dialogue, and I, I think that adds a really, really great depth to, to th- your story that you're exploring. Also the backgrounds as well. All right, there's, there's three backgrounds, three sort of... You, you sort of three origins, yeah. and three sort of, you know, you soul survive that. I can't remember which one it is. I think it is in two if you pick one. Later on in the game, you get an email from your mum. If you're a spacer, it's your background. Yeah. If you're a spacer, you, your mum's still alive. Everything else, both your parents are dead. But yeah, what you get I've, an email later. What I've just found with one playing through on this playthrough, uh, I picked an Earthborn soul survivor, and there's the bit where you go into Korra's den, and there's there's a bloke there from the gang that you were with when you were a, a ruffian on, on Earth. And it, and it's a whole quest chain that I haven't had on any other playthrough because I've never had that backstory before. Mm. Um, each each it, backstory has a separate quest. Each one's different. You although need to play I, it three times to get think, them all. I think if you, I know if you're Soul Survivor, 
you run into tombs and that's a quest, but you can run into him as well with, I think it's the spacer background. I'm not sure about the, the, the Earthborn mob. See, I'm racking my brains through all of the previous RPGs I've played, specifically Western RPGs, uh, where I've been able to create a character who I, you know, got to make the, the decisions that weren't just tailored to a specific character set, like Shepard is. And I can't think of one that's even an iota as memorable or as rewarding or satisfying to play as, as, as Shepard. I think that there is a balance actually to giving a person, because ultimately if you want, if you're going to play in a big action game like this, it's going to be of a certain type of shepherd. You can't play someone who's a total pacifist. You can't play someone who's only got one arm. You can't play someone who has got Tourette syndrome. Uh, that there's, there's going to be a certain criteria which Shepard has to fulfill. And ultimately it's those smaller decisions about the character that make you feel that you have more control. Mm. All of these other games that um, I'm talking about, you can't have a one-armed Tourette syndrome suffering lesbian midget in that either. <laughs> it's it's not like you're really playing yourself yeah. in these games. And you always end up with this blank staring dull-looking, completely empty mannequin of a character. Bethesda, I'm looking at you at this point. And you spend all your time, like at the beginning, like like changing their appearance to craft them into exactly how you want them to be. And then it never comes up. You don't necessarily ever have to look at your character ever again. It doesn't matter what you look like. Mind you, I will say that the creation in this game, ooh, does not look good anymore. Is it not? Anybody, did anybody else, I, I, I my PC... Shepard, Femme Shep, is blonde, and the hair looks like plastic sometimes in the lighting. It looks terrible. In Mass Effect 1, specifically, or... Yes, in yeah, Mass yeah. Effect 1. My it, Shepard's got a, a buzz cut, so it, it just <laughs> looks like it a buzz cut, so. I've tried the buzz cut on the woman, and you look way too much like um, Jack sometimes. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, whenever I try to mess around with the character model of Shepard, I go, no, that's not Shepard, that's not Shepard, that's not... Until I finally get to my Shepard and go, yeah, yeah. okay, that's Shepard. I could maybe change her hair. Yeah, yeah, they... they that was a know. nightmare. It didn't copy through for whatever reason. It, was, yeah. uh, it took me forever to get it right. <laughs> I have mucked about the character creation on the PC side, but my console one is usually the female Shepard standard, but I change her hair to red, and that's my Shepard. That does. So I was very happy when Redhead Shepard won the vote. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a new sitcom. That's my Shepard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> from the producers of One Man and His Dog. That armour. You wear that armour for about six minutes in the game, and then no matter what class you're playing, you're presented with a better one, which doesn't look anything like the classic Shepard armour. Yeah, the N7 armour, yeah. Yeah, that, that N7 armour is a product of Mass Effect 2, and then they retain it for Mass Effect 3 and make it more sort of knight in shining armour, or dark knight in shining armour. It's just there for a little bit in this in this first game. But that that lo- the N7 logo is present mm-hmm. all on everything you're wearing in Mass Effect. The reason in this is only on that. Is one it just armor. marketing then? Yeah. Is it just that you see oh, the God, same yeah. Shepherd everywhere yeah. wearing the same armour? Well, yeah, the special yeah. editions were N7 editions. Yeah. Yeah. It's the default armour for Shepherd, so that's what's in all the publicity material. Yeah. Yeah. But the, to, to me now, it's like Indiana Jones, uh, and if you take take away Indy's um, hat hat and, and brown leather jacket and put him in something else. You're just waiting for Indy to put on the proper clothes. 
So I know it's 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 only part of, of Shepard's character, but ultimately, if you saw that armor, you'd be like, Shepard, straight away. The explosion tore the refinery to shreds. The whole place was on fire. Black chemical clouds poured out into the atmosphere. Nobody inside survived. There was a camp for the workers and their families nearby. Between the fires and the toxic fumes, the final death count was over 500. Mostly civilians. Saren didn't care. The target was eliminated. Mission accomplished. And I ended up taking the blame. Saren's report was all the proof the Council needed to kill my chances of becoming a Spectre. Why'd you let him get away with it? Who do you think the Council was going to listen to? Me? Or their best agent? I had a bad feeling about him right from the start. I should have been more careful. Maybe I could have stopped things before they got out of hand. Don't blame yourself, Captain. I don't. I blame Saren. Captain David Anderson, played by Keith David. He's the, the proto-Shepherd, is what he is. He's what sh- he's who would have been Shepherd if this had happened 10, 15 20. years earlier. Interesting. Yeah. I'd not... Yeah. It would have been him one. doing this instead of Shepherd, but he's too old now. Yeah. Mm. And I, I love the fact that uh, in this, his backstory is referenced he has a a history with saren and then it's explored in a lot lot more depth in the first mass effect book um yeah yeah good book and that's why i that that reading the book um after playing this i felt that added a lot more to his character Mm. yeah he also just keith david's voice it's just it's just so you know how um james Earl jones voice is iconic for for vader yeah anyone else if they ever do that live action mass effect anyone else that plays him you're not gonna have the voice (laughs) unless they literally get keith david in to play him which would be very much advised he's still young and unfit enough to uh, to play his character the fact that he looks exactly like Keith David as well gives it a very cinematic air. It's like you're actually seeing him. And um, Lance Henriksen's character, Admiral Hackett. Admiral Hackett, also, it kind of, you know, Keith David makes you think of the Riddick films and Hackett makes you think of Aliens. So Can I just, can I just say, first time playing through the game and then you, you realise where you heard that voice before because I didn't at the start, but later on I went, hang on a second, that's his little fanboy squee moment because it's, it's Lance Henriksen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Shepard, you really shouldn't have punched that reporter. Uh, but yeah, Hackett is only kind of an afterthought in this first game and, and comes in uh, a lot more significantly in, in three. Well, that's two. if you, in the first one, if you do a lot of the side missions, he's your contact. Alright. It's, it's important that we have, um, Anderson though as, as someone who will back up Shepard pretty much every step of the way. Even if you make terrible renegade decisions, Anderson's on side. Essentially, Hackett and Addison represent the alliance in your mind because yeah. they're willing to go against the political view to get what needs to be done right. Mm. And Udina is uh, cartoonishly portrayed as snivelling, untrustworthy politician number one. Yeah. I mean, Hackett and Anderson are both uh, a little bit renegade themselves. They're, they're about getting the job done. They don't. They don't care what other people think of. of of them as people as long as they do the right thing and Udina is exactly the opposite all he cares about is is how he's viewed by by other people um, he's not actually bothered about getting the job done he'd rather do the job badly and, and look good doing it yeah because isn't it when you get given the ship he, he asks you like how you feel about it or something like that and you turn around and your option is like oh screw what they think and he, his immediate response is 
good answer. That's what I wanted you to be saying. <laughs> that that shows you're going to get results. Yeah, right? and and it, it, it you you kind of if you pick that answer, you, the first thing you think is I've just seriously disrespected the guy who's pushed for me to get this job. But then it's like actually no, he 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 knows that that's the the mentality I need to have. Okay, mm. so next one is Kaiden Alenko, and I will ask this question: What's wrong with Kaiden? He is on mine. <laughs> it is a mental con- Yeah, you're gonna cut that. <laughs> but he is it's a medical condition of being an L two. It is explained. Mm-hmm. Yes, it yeah. is. What are what are L twos for the folks at home? Um he is a biotic which basically um, he, he can use telekinesis um, and things like that. And he was taken away at a young age and farmed off onto a mining colony, essentially, to develop in harsh regimes where they were beaten and subjected to all sorts of abuse in order to push their skills. Mm. Much like what you would see in the later series with another key character. Jack. Yes. Yeah. But Jack wasn't boring. She no, was I, She was I, tedious, but that's not that's the same thing. Caden was, was conditioned. That's the difference. Caden yeah. has his moments. He does have bright spots, uh, especially if you're a femme chef, and he's sort of, he, he's sort of into you, you get really good comic moments out of him. I think some of it's just down to the voice portrayal on it. It's a little flat. He's it's sort bit, of like Mark Mears' performance. It's a little flat. He's a bit cyclopsy. Mm. He's a bit but kind he of straight-laced, have, normal guy. There's one I found earlier uh, on the Citadel where you can look out at this view, and I had uh, Lenko and, and Williams with me. And it's quite funny because he, he, he cocks up and sort of hints at the fact he likes Femme Shep. And it's quite funny because you sort of tease him and it's a really good character moment. It's like, oh, you know, he actually does have those little moments where he does shine. Mm. But the trouble is there's a lot of just flat vocal performance that I think is probably what put people off on yeah. it. I think it is important to note, though, um, when I played through this, knowing that I played, I, I knew the um, the ultimate point plot development, um, I... As I approached um, an important area of the game, I, I put a thing out on Twitter a couple of months back saying, I've already decided what I'm going to do when I get there. And I had quite a few female followers going, no, Caden's just the best character, and I can't see what the appeal is. As it's soon as I spoke dependable. to him for the first time, I knew what I was going to do. More like a puppy, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> if he was more like cough we'd probably be keeping him like yes you're cough we shall keep you but I, again i think it's just maybe maybe it's just a male point of view he he just comes across as a little dull and the voice performance falls a little flat so maybe that puts us off it's, it's hard to say because I, I well we'll talk about her when we get to her because i'm probably going to shout at somebody maybe it's because he's canadian <laughs> <laughs> they're not even a real country anyway anyway What's speaking, that about, of, eh? speaking of racists um, and I'm going to shout at you. Okay, wait. Wait a second. Okay, wait. I will start this out by saying there are depths and reasons behind Ashley Williams' behaviour. Neil, would you furnish us with them, please? Okay, I really object to the fact that people call Ashley Williams racist. She's not. Close-minded, yes, definitely. Uh, prejudice, though, would it be fair to say she? She was definitely prejudiced? has a prejudice, but she has reasons, and I, I wonder if people didn't. She's bother. mistrustful, is what she. Yes, she's, not, she's, she's definitely. Prejudiced. You had to talk to her a lot to find out those reasons, though. Yeah. And, and it, you have to challenge her on it. Clint Eastwood in the film Gran Torino. You got to start the film and go. He's a racist. I'm not watching this. 
it's just the fact you say Ashley Williams and I'm going to racist and she's not she's not a racist there's far more racist characters actually in the in the first game later on in fact Kaiden is boring empirically speaking Ashley Williams is a racist from perspective okay well the the, the two girls that told me about their love for Kaiden they said to me um, their description of um, of Ashley was a bible bashing um, racist bitch Jesus, they didn't talk to her for long then. No, yeah. well, she, oh, she, she is openly spiritual. Yeah, she is. No, no. She wears she's pink armor. No, she she asks <laughs> if she's allowed to pray and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Or oh, she that. even asked, "Do you believe in God, Shepherd?" At one point. And I like the answer of, uh, "There's no atheist in a foxhole." That's a good answer. Commander, do you have a few minutes to talk one on one? I'm off duty until tomorrow. I was going to have a small drink. Bit of a celebration. If you're interested. I'm on duty. Have anything without alcohol? You're always on duty, Shepard. It's Armistice Day, when the first contact war ended. My family always marks it. Since I'm the only Williams aboard, I thought I'd ask you. You can't think I'm the most patriotic person on the ship. Nah, you just happened by at the right time. Don't tell me you don't know about my family. My commanders always find out. It's not in my files or something? There's almost nothing in your files. Technical scores and a list of crap assignments. There's a reason for the crap assignments. I'm General Williams' granddaughter, the commander of the Shanxi garrison in the war. The only human ever to surrender to an alien race. Don't tell me you're blamed for that. Not formally. Dad got passed for promotion over and over. And I think my record merits more than garrison duty on a backwater agri-colony. Takes a special kind of thick-headed to march into a job where your family's blacklisted. I did it anyway. I'm not gonna let our name go down with Arnold and Quisling. Granddad deserved better than that. What happened to your grandfather after the war? He was relieved of command as soon as Shanxi was liberated. They brought him back to Earth in irons, but there was never a trial. They quietly demoted him and stuck him behind a desk. He retired a year later and spent the rest of his life working construction in the colonies. Sometimes we hear about attempts to get him exonerated in some official way. Nothing ever comes of them. As I recall, your grandfather held out for a long time. The Turians wrecked the orbitals in the first wave and occupied the major cities. They sat in orbit, dropping rocks on anything that moved. Granddad dispersed the troops. But when they went into the cities for supplies, the Turians would wreck a block to eliminate one fire team. Civilians were dying, his troops were starving, and he couldn't contact Alliance High Command. So he surrendered the garrison. Is this why you're always going on about the Council? If everyone else can look at Shanxi and say, this is why humanity needs to be stronger, then so can I. I'm entitled. So now you know. Gonna kick me off the ship, Skipper? Just as Anderson and Hackett serve as models for humanity's positive links to the Council, just as Garrus, Rex, Tali and Liara serve as portals to the Torian, Krogan, Quarian and Asari races, and just as Joker is your human link to the Normandy, Kaiden is your connection with being a paragon, and Ashley, no matter how by the book she is, represents an impatient renegade who just wants to get the job done and doesn't have much room in her heart for trust and compassion. You have to draw those out of her with your actions, or indeed exacerbate her renegade leanings with your own. And later on, it's not even an issue at all. Yeah, and she does. Uh, she does start to open up somewhat, and does start to incorporate much more accepting feelings to other races. You, Although, yeah. uh, 
speak. Being in that situation, she gets past a lot of her prejudices. Yeah. I suppose you, if you fight alongside aliens for long enough. Well, it's basically the same thing that happens to, not Adams, uh, Presley. Yeah. Except yeah. Because he's openly against having so many aliens on board their yeah. ship. And eventually... You change his mind. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I gave up talking to him after after I got the ship out of dock because it, it, <laughs> it, it had no plot point. Nothing. He, yeah. he didn't change anything. He stayed in the yeah. same spot on the same place yeah, next to the, fair, map, also, the whole way through the game. To be fair, you don't actually find that out till Mass Effect Two, actually, and it is it's kind of a heartbreaking moment. Actually, we've been talking about humans and aliens, right? But aliens is such a subjective, relative term anyway. We're flying around on a spaceship through the galaxy. Everyone's an alien. Yeah, but yeah. but every race will speak about all of the races as aliens. Yeah, I think in fact at various points they do it in Mass Effect. Um, Batarians just, would yeah. consider humans to be aliens. Well, exactly, and um, yeah, yeah. we are. You know, let's be honest. Everyone that's playing this game is a human. At least I imagine they are. Um, <laughs> yeah, unless there's some kind of V conspiracy going on. <laughs> we don't know. Know. But um, also yeah, when. So- we're brand new, really, to, to these, yeah. uh, you know, some, sometimes millennia old cultures who've all been chin wagging with each other for, for, for generation after generation. Suddenly humans turn up just a few hundred years ago. One it all big... comes from the fact that we, we get to Mars in a few years time and we find the ability to get, to create a mass re, or to, to create or to reach a mass relay. Reach a mass relay and use it. And and then that then puts us in touch with all these other alien species. But it jumps our technology and cultural evolution forward so much and so fast that humans as a race aren't really ready for it. And they're not really ready for us. We haven't been eased in. So that's where all the tension comes from. But it's played out at the start. The humans are mistrusted because they've gone round just randomly activating mass dormant mass relays in order to. Which is how the Rachni War got started. Which is how the Rachni War. same point it's how it got ended because they found the Krogan as a result of doing it we'll talk and you know what we can talk about that when we um, uh, there's a section on the greater galaxy but that's all fairly important history that I actually do kind of want to talk about but Um, can we now agree that Ashley Williams is not racist she's just a bit closed minded it just feels like such a cop out when people say that and it's just something that's bugged me have you got your give Ashley a chance t-shirt on well, there's two things. There's two things I want to say about Ashley. One of them is that um, racist is the wrong word. It would be uh, yeah. xenophobic for a yeah. start. Yes. And she is actively not xenophobic. She even there's a, a terra firma organization which is a xenophobic organization. She actively denounces them when you're talking to her. If you talk to her enough, she is not xenophobic. She's mistrustful of the motives of the alien species, and justifiably so because they do not trust humanity and in the past haven't supported them at various occasions that yeah. is her issue is that we're going to we're going to commit to what we're doing with the Turians and the Asari and they're going to then dump us in it and we'll be on our own and unable to cope that's her concern throughout the series there are actually fairly interesting um, cultural touch points like in the third game when you're talking to uh, one of your crew members just an incidental guy he mentions his husband but he just does it offhand he doesn't sort of pause and go my husband sort of gauging Shepard's reactions on that. The implication being that after several hundred years, it's just become the normal. not an issue yeah. to even to, to even differentiate at that stage, which I think is a brilliant kind of... It's like Star Trek in the, the idea of um, a bright future where we are actually getting more accepting 
and that we're moving forwards. I love stuff like that in this. Of course, yeah. that, that, that had its own media backlash, which we'll discuss in a couple of weeks. Which just goes to show that even though we're moving in that direction, there are still some fucking stepping stones to jump over. Oh, one, yeah. One thing I did like is that um, with... Uh, hurdles. Sorry, train. I was mixing metaphors like a Cuisinart. <laughs> <laughs> you don't jump over stepping stones, you jump onto them. Sorry, carry on. Uh, Samantha Trainer, that, that is, is dealt with very well. I, have, I, I agree with that. It, it's just a, a thing. It's, it's not a, a remarkable thing thing it's just a fact another facet of someone's personal life yeah. but then samantha trainer does uh does have to highlight the fact that there is still a certain amount of uncomfortable uh it's just another thing to deal with in the dating game when um that yeah there's a certain amount of flirting going on between her and Shepard, and and she sort of gently breaks the the awkwardness by saying that she's she's not into, into men you know and I, I like the fact that they don't just ignore it completely but they they deal with it in a very um a very sensible way mm. uh, rather than making a big deal out of it or sweeping it under the carpet yeah next one on the uh, crew Garrus Vakarian who I've described as the character that when they turn up in each of the three games I high five it's, it's <laughs> odd because the first game I don't the second game and the third game it's, it is a yeah. moment but the first one it, he sort of grew from the first one into probably the number two character from this game because everyone loves Garrus. Well, hang on a second. When you replay it, do you not go, hey, it's Garrus? He doesn't get a very interesting entrance. You know, Ashley comes in under fire. Garrus is just basically having a Barney with his boss. That is true, actually. We first see him bickering. Coincidental introduction. He's like, oh, yeah, there's a guy here. He's going to say hello, and then you'll go off and meet him ten minutes later. He doesn't Mm. just go, boom, Garrus is in the room! Yeah, he's not not popping heads of fools and stuff. It's just one of those weird things. I don't think he comes across as that strong or great a character in the first game, but once he's back in two, you're like... Oh yeah, I think it's because I think when I played two, he was the first character I got. So it's like, yeah. all right, I'm getting the band back together. You only really get Tar- Tali and Garrus back in two. Yeah, uh, from this existing crew, you do get, get closer to them as well uh, for a bit. But she's not on your main main crew, and, and that's DLC. Yeah, unless you PS3. Yeah. So I think you probably so yeah, T- yeah. Tali and Garrus are are kind of like. Throughout the series, you, you get close to them because they are constantly offered up to you in your party. And they get close to each other as well. Mm. Uh, depending. So the <laughs> defining characteristics of, um, uh, of Garrus are that he's dependable, he has a dry sense of humour, he's very professional when he's actually in the field, but he's a little bit awkward, especially uh, around relationships outside of it, which is very easy to relate to. Yep. He's another person that's got a problem with authority. Because if you do go and spend some time yeah. talking to him, he, the first thing he says is like, "Oh, I'm glad I'm running with a Spectre now because I can do things that are outside the the guidelines that I had to stick to with CSEC." Yeah. Well, it's it's almost the running joke that half these characters have got daddy issues, actually, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> so much so they made a joke about it in three. Uh, but he gets horribly wounded in two, and the. Ooh, that's not really a spoiler. He gets horribly wounded in two. Uh, but the fact that he doesn't complain about it, and in fact almost seems to wear his scars with pride, again gives you a certain amount of respect for him as a character. And also if you can make sort of a joke about it, and he doesn't take it the wrong way, he plays up to it. Yeah. So I think that his character really grows in two. I think that's where you get the stronger growth. But he, he's still a solid character apart from his tendency to run out and get shot. In this first one, yeah. Speaking of solidity, Space Toad, uh, not Rex. Um, My... God, I didn't realise this character would grow to be something I, someone I yeah. got so attached to. Shepard, 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 
Rex. Shiver. Rex. Shiver. <laughs> Ultimately, he is your uh, gateway to the entire Krogan race, just as... as um, interestingly enough, because of Saren, the Torians are almost divided in that you can see uh, the, the corrupt uh, and the uh, virtuous of them, but with Rex, you are literally confronted with towering, angry example of... The complexity of dealing with, essentially genocide yeah he's a brute but he's got so much going on uh, underneath and he, every time you query him on something he's got a very strong opinion behind him and it's it's backed up by so many facts that it's very difficult to argue against that he's very much a person who's been been there done that mm. But he's, he's given up on everything, including his own race, though, hasn't he? Because he said, you know, they, they've given up looking for a cure, so why should I care about the Hogan sort of thing? Yeah. Which makes him, again, a really well-fleshed act. All these characters are, but he's exceptionally fleshed out. Especially if you keep talking and keep digging and keep digging, you find out his backstory about his father. You never, never find out how he got that scar, though, do you? Scratched by a thresher mall? Probably. <laughs> Actually, I believe you do. The pro- It's a... Uh side quest where you find his family armor but I can't for the life of me remember what oh, I remember doing the, the mission the The thing that I found with him is and, and it, it proves to be just a key point of the game some of your level experiences um, some of the little side quests can end differently depending on who you take with you yeah <laughs> so when you're going around the citadel and, and you have to go off and confront Fist you may have done it before you've gone off to recruit Rex in which case you can choose what you want to do. You can let the guy go. If you recruit Rex and take him with you, <laughs> <laughs> he he he's on contract to kill him, and he and fulfills he that contract. Rex is actually very good for drawing a lot of characterization out of Shepard as well, because Rex is a difficult character to handle. Um, he doesn't ask for much, but when he does, he's very emphatic about what he asks for. So it requires Shepard to make decisions. So it's, it's, it, he is uh, a fantastic uh, person for for making the plot of the game thicken. Yes, his issues are often the big stuff, and it forces you to be decisive. True, true. It's stuff like this that, that makes the game such a, a joy to play. I mean, I'll, I'll more on it later, but it's it's not just his the way he is. It's all of the the reasons why he's the character he is that you find out as you talk to him as you play the game. And it's the same with all the characters. There's just so much depth to this entire universe. It's, it's incredibly well written. It's ocean. Very it's well fathoms deep. Mm. This isn't right, Shepard. If there's a cure for the genophage, we can't destroy it. I understand you're upset, but we both know Saren's the enemy here. He's the one you should be angry with. Really? Saren created a cure for my people. You want to destroy it. Help me out here, Shepard. The lines between friend and foe are getting a little blurry from where I stand. I shouldn't have to explain that to you, Rex. Indulge me. I've been loyal to you so far. Hell, you did more for me than my family ever did. But if I'm going to keep following you, I need to know we're doing it for the right reasons. Rex, these Krogan are not your people. They're slaves of Saren, tools. Is that what you want for them? No, we were tools for the Council once. To thank us for wiping out the Rachni, they neutered us all. I doubt Saren will be as generous. All right, Shepard, you've made your point. 
I don't like this, but I trust you enough to follow your lead. Just one thing. When we find Saren, I want his head. The voice is uh, by Stephen Barr, who uh, actually reminds me of Ron Perlman. He's got a, an incredible gravity to his voice, possibly more than anyone else in this game. Even Keith David doesn't sound as committed as uh, as Rex the whole time. You, he doesn't joke around. He's super serious about everything. And... Well, um, it, kind of he, mean mean as a snake but at the same time you can see his reasons for it that's the thing there's, he does joke around but there's a there's a sharpness to every joke that he makes that um, on a certain level he's not kidding mm. Tali Zora Naraya the fact that she's a Aquarian with the mask on and just just her, her look as well just I was really intrigued to, to get to know her character and the race more like I said it's 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 the mystery it's wanting to know more about the Aquarians and I like I like the uh, the voice actress as well. Mm. I, I like the voice of Tali. Liz Stroka. And I, I think the fact that a lot of people know about the the end of two, uh, I think the fact that I was so intrigued to get to know her character more and her race that the the moment when I lost her in in two was so much more powerful and emotional. And I think I'm, I'm glad. This isn't that. a major spoiler, folks. It's it it can or cannot happen. So it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's up so to you how you I, play I, the game. It's. I think I think the fact that I did get so attached to her as a character, that losing her was good. So I'm glad that I got attached to her character and didn't sort of evenly spread my emotional attachment across all the characters. So I'm. Mm. One of the major facets of Cal is the fact that she's so new to the universe and being the player you're also quite new to it as well and the fact that she she has that wonder about everything especially even on the normandy the fact that she's lived on basically a, a come together float flotilla of ships that shouldn't be running as long as they have and when she comes like top end technology she's fascinated and it makes you want to learn more about your own ship yeah but she, she's just, ultimately she's very naive, isn't she? Yeah, she is childlike. The, the funniest thing um, I found with uh, having her in my group on like running around the Citadel is the, the conversations that she's having with um, Liara uh, going up and down the lifts. And um, there's one where um, she says to Liara something like, "Oh, you must get lonely being on on all these dig sites on your own because I'm used to being in really like." Um, communal situations on my ships and uh, like Liara sort of says something like oh yeah but it's quiet and peaceful there's no explosions and you know that's what that's like the first moment that Talik kind of says yeah lots of things uh, we we make kind of start trying to kill us and uh, she starts admitting that like she she blows things up a lot and uh, and and obviously they created the gef which ended up being a quite a nasty race Again, Tali is your portal to the Quarian race. Uh, they, uh, for newcomers to the, the series, they have vulnerabilities to the elements, which mean they have to be in constantly pressurized suits uh, that makes them seem far more fragile than obviously these creatures that you're shooting on an hourly basis. There's a sense of almost wanting to sort of preserve this 
this culture which is is hanging by a thread. There's a Battlestar Galactica sense uh, about them with their their fleet on the uh, on the move on the move and, and never really having a, a home. They're, they're quite proud, but they're not hostile about it. So it's well balanced enough that you want to see good things happen for the Quarians, but they're not just portrayed as these hapless fools who you know need help for absolutely everything. Yeah, I, I take exceptions to the whole that she's naive. I don't think she's naive. I would say Liara's probably more naive. Yeah, yeah. Tally. I would say she. you have a sense of vulnerability to her, yet she's also got this sense of wonder and joy about the world. Yeah. She's Which inexperienced, I, I, but she's, yeah. she's smart with it. Yeah. She learns quickly. She has an house. So much so that even Engineer Adams is like, can we keep her? <laughs> Please let me keep her. Oh, that's the other yeah, thing, of course. He, the he, fact that she's brilliant with machines, that the, you just see this passion and skill exhibited, you want to nurture that. Even among a race that is known for being proficient with machines, she yes. A prodigy? Yeah, prodigy. Yeah. But yeah, speaking of Liara Tassoni, she's the uh, sixth and final member of your uh, extended crew, or seventh if you count Shepard of playable characters. What appealed to me the most about her, first off, is the big, wide blue eyes. Yeah. And the sense that she's a slightly awkward, geeky girl who spent a lot of her life in seclusion, doesn't really know how to handle people. Decades. Decades. And, and she's... she's only a hundred. But yeah, she's of a very long-lived mm. race, so she's still technically kind of young. She has mummy issues daddy issues a little bit of shame about her race so again you kind of want to take her under your wing and 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 maybe toughen her up a little bit by sort of you know negotiating her way around things i found myself extremely attracted to her as a a character on a natural sense because she has a natural respect for life and the energies that move through it and all of that stuff that sharon goes on about a lot and um, (laughs) (laughs) she's extremely feminine but at the same time, her character growth is fascinating because of how she ends up by the end of two, even though you're kept apart for most of the time, she doesn't just remain the same. She's on a path. Mm. Yeah. And I kind of she, like the fact that I was a, a, a huge part of that growth. Again, it's, it's much respect to three games. She's one of the characters that comes out really well. Yes. It's just constant growth all through three games, even though, like you said, she's not got a... If you don't have the DLC, she's got a very small part of, of two. They're yeah. slightly expanded if you've got the DLC, but you can see the growth carrying on. And by the time, when, and you talk about fist pump moments, when she turns up in three, that's a fist pump moment. It's like, yeah. yeah. Get Lair of the Shadow Broker if you get two. I mean, yeah. I, I, Shadow Broker, Overlord also for the decisions you have to make in that is also fantastic. And actually, Kasumi Stolen Memory is very good as well. Just get all the DLC. Yeah, get the yeah. DLC. Because <laughs> we're going to be talking about this in a month's time. Actually, you know, um, yeah, what's that last one? Firewalker and Cerberus are the other two. The, the Arrival as well. That's not all that hot either. That's the one annoying thing. The Arrival. Should, why is the Arrival not in the game? Yeah, that, it, it that, ties it, in with yeah. three, but... It's so it's that they that could uh, charge PS3 players for some DLC. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Conniving, but yes. Do you know, I, I actually found um, Liara boring in three. After after I'd met her up and uh, met up met her and excuse um, me? hello <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, spot which romance option I chose um, <laughs> no uh, after I after Shepherd, when I we had share recruited one another, her we meet up each other 
after I'd recruited her, she goes back to being a bit of a recluse again, and she doesn't have a very warming personality. Whereas in one, she's very much just beginning to get used to having company and you know she's shy she's timid and she's she's innocent whereas depending on what you've done she may not be that way later on so maybe her character kind of peaks uh in layer of the shadow broker and then they just they don't really want to give you any significant character growth in three because they can't be sure of what you've done hmm hmm because you have romance options regardless of whether you're male or female mm. i think she she comes across the same way whereas like caden or ashley you'll have a different um conversations with them because one you'll have the option of flirting and, and the other way you won't with liara it happens regardless you know she she expresses an interest in you whatever she might come across saying oh yes it's it's your brain and it's your reaction to that beacon that i want to get to know but really i want to get inside your brain <laughs> let me inside your brain to do the bad thing i think just now does have a point that she might come across as a little bit flat in three but We'll get to that when we get to three because I think three has so big problems. I, I like this one. She, she is clearly a very naive, sheltered teenager almost. She said she's pretty much almost. She's just out of a teens in sort of a sorry, yeah, yeah, uh, years, yeah. isn't she? She's yeah. kind of the, she's a the opposite of of Tali really. Um, she's I mean she's super. She's very intelligent, very book smart, but she's got. She, she's incredibly naive. She's, whereas Tally isn't naive. She's just inexperienced. She's been around for a long, yeah, relatively speaking, a long time, but hasn't really learned anything in that that hundred years, or whatever. She's learned far less than Tally has in in what two or three years being out, out of the flotilla. She's Twilight uh, Sparkle. I get the feeling you want to ask me something, Commander. Maybe we could pick up where we left off. You were telling me about your interest in the Protheans. Actually, I think I was talking about my interest in you, and making a fool of myself in the process. As I said, I am not used to dealing with people, especially humans. I did not really know much about your species when we first met, Shepard. I found it hard to take humanity seriously. Your kind always seemed so rushed and high-strung. We don't have the luxury of time, and Asari can live for a thousand years. We're lucky if we hit 150. That is true. At first I thought that was a weakness of your species. After spending time with you and your crew, however, I think it may actually be an advantage. You humans are creatures of action. You pursue your goals with an almost indomitable determination. It is an admirable trait, but also an intimidating one. You're scared of us? Unfortunately, the rest of the galaxy sees humanity as something of a bully. You run over anyone in your path to get what you want. It is up to people like you to change their minds, Shepard. Why me? There is a reason the Council chose you to become a Spectre. They saw something special in you. The best of what humanity has to offer. I looked into your history. I know what you did on Torfin. I cannot even imagine how horrible that must have been, but you did what had to be done. Why are you so interested in me? I wanted to know more about you. To understand what made you into the woman you are. There is something compelling about you, Shepard. Are you sure you're interested in me, or is it my visions of the Protheans? I admit, 
Your connection to the Protheans had something to do with my initial interest, but it has grown beyond that. You intrigue me, Shepard, but I was not sure if it was appropriate to act on my feelings. I thought there might already be a relationship between you and Lieutenant Alenko. The Lieutenant and I are just friends. Nothing more. My mistake, then. I am not as adept at understanding human relationships as I thought. But what about us, Shepard? Is there a mutual attraction, or was I wrong about that, too? There are some NPC members of your crew who are actually pretty crucial to the uh, overall story to give it depth and texture. You can skip conversations with all these guys and never really get to know them. But Jeff Joker Moreau is someone that most people will want to get to know. Now, I've heard complaints about uh, him that he is just Seth Green and the fact that he looks like Seth Green and sounds like Seth Green affecting his own voice and not even slightly deviating or, or even really acting would make me think, this is a lazy character, but he's one of my favourites. Mm-hmm. He's not lazy, he's got brittle bone disease. I'm, I'm syndrome. Lazily written. <laughs> Goodness <laughs> sake. Um, in the same way that everyone else is the, is the portal to their individual races, Jeff is the portal to the Normandy. Mm. He is the reason why I look at that ship and say, that is my ship. He's the, the the face of it, and he, he he may be a joker, and he may be uh, well, wise cracking, but he's quite spiky to begin with. He wasn't actually much of a joke. He sort of moved into that persona because of the nickname he's been given. Yeah. But he, whenever you try, a lot of the time he comes off quite sharp. Yeah. You ask him, so why are you here? And he's like, oh, yeah, great. So you've read all these reports, have you? Well, you know what? I'm the best there is. And he's like, what? He's like, whoa. Stars. <laughs> why? How you got here? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he starts out quite spiky. And you realize the kind of crap he's actually had to, to, to get through to be here. Specifically for the, the later games, you, you, you cherish the fact that he's in the cockpit. And you know that when you go up there, you'll be able to chat with him. Yeah, I didn't know you could chat with him the first time I played the game. It was only the second huh? time round that I found out, oh, you can chat to him, and he's got some great stuff. You didn't walk up to the cockpit? No, why would I? I, was, I got Liara, Tally, Rex, Garrus, Ash, Caden, Dr. Chokwas to talk to. I didn't realise, you know, that's, that's... There are some times, especially on repeat playthroughs, that you're like, right, I finished the mission. <sighs> Better get all the talking done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I've just not bothered talking to anyone on this playthrough because... You're a douchebag. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I don't talk to my crew. Just fly the ship. Are we still flying? Then you're doing good. I've actually found Joker to be, um, in comparison to his appearance in 2 and 3, I found him entirely unlikable. Really? Because because of like exactly what you said, the way how when you have that first conversation with him, he's really got his back up against you and thinks that you're um, picking on him and stuff like that, and that you're not being respectful to him. Mm. I just thought, ah, oh, sod you then, it's not worth it, and and I gave up. So, but even on the times when I did go back to him, it just gave me the same conversation options. It didn't yeah. like progress the story he's, with him. He's he's sort of like Caden and Ash. They've got that option, yeah. which is sort of give your thoughts on the last mission. And unless you've done a, a a story mission, they don't really say anything. Yeah, that's a bit of a shame. I also think that doesn't what doesn't help is uh, usually when you say whatever it is to say goodbye to him, you go off. And he goes, yeah, whatever. He saw yeah. this very flippant dismissal of you. Yeah. I think that might rub people up the wrong way. Um, and Cause, it did, yeah. Because by the time you hit two, he's he's a joy. He's brilliant. And trust me, there's a moment in two that we will talk about, which is 
a really clever move on the part of the game designers. Yes. Mm. Agree. I see, I didn't say a word yeah, starting no, well with done. A. Nicely played. Everybody who knows will be nodding. <laughs> okay. So yeah, the other uh, crew members on your ship that are worth uh, talking to include jo- Dr. Chakwas. It is a possible that you can lose Chakwas in your second adventure if you don't play the game in the right way. And I lost her and Ooh. Ever since then, I've felt terrible, and I've wanted her to be around. She doesn't have, again, that many uh, vocal options, but when you do talk to her, um, it's like enjoying a well-aged whiskey, as in she's been around the block. She's kind of jaded, and the way she, she talks, she's like, yes, I wanted to get into the military and meet men with piercing eyes, and you're like, ah! Okay, I could probably she, get to She's sort of on the wavelength, almost of... She's not as bad as Rex, but she's got that sort of world weariness to her she, she yeah. she's lost the romance of the the military career the space life the adventure she's seen the reality of it of patching up the soldiers that's come in and she sort of lost that yet she still has the passion yeah she's closer i suppose in terms of character to maybe um anderson like she's she's the uh, previous generation of uh, of heroes and uh kind of like helping usher in this new generation and you know keeping them alive while they while they find their feet people who've not played two they're, they're going to be in the supreme minority but I, I will say at least and this is not really spoiling anything but if you want to keep Chakras alive when she's gone don't wait around mm-hmm. do yeah. not you I think you can no, you, I, you can wait for something like four missions I thought it was one mission no, no that's if you want Kelly ah okay because because explain it like this when there's urgency, there is urgency. For a reason. Move your ass. Yes, it's an invisible to the urgency. Mimic. Yeah. And then if you do get her back, make sure she's well guarded. Mm. Okay. Just to go back to the Normandy itself, this is the, the ship that um, we've now run around its inside so many times that we can now tell Normandy in one, from two, from three, um, yeah. just with a quick um, glance about. And it feels like a real place. In the so same way that uh, that uh, Serenity does. She's become an icon. She's become one of those ships. Yeah. Like you said, she's Serenity. She's Enterprise. From the outside, it looks really cool. Yeah. yeah. You look at it, it looks really cool. It also looks like a, a re- like it would actually work. If something. It looks like a functional vessel, which always helps, because a ship that doesn't look like a vehicle somehow looks, just doesn't work. It's the inside. Okay, it, not everything is there, but... Even in the first one, it's just the the layout, the design of it is what you would expect it to be. There's a, a life to it. It's yeah. not just that. When you compare her against the other ships that you see, she is sleek. She has a unit. She she stands out. You know, against the Asari, against the normal Alliance ships, against the Torian ships that you see in this first game. It she always falls top of the line. Yeah. Well, she's a, com- she's a she's a combination of, of uh, human and Turian yeah. technology, and that shows because it's not got the, the the square edges of a human ship, but it's it's got the the shape of a of a, a human ship. It's got this, the the lines of a Turian ship. It's the design is is very nice indeed. Okay, there's two other major characters in this game which are actually worthy of note: uh, Saren and Matriarch Benezia. Saren suddenly gained a whole lot more relevance with his indoctrination having played three. Yes. Yeah. I think, though, that goes to the point that probably, the, considering three is written by a different writer, um, it just shows you how well written this version, this Saren is. Yeah. 
that you can come back and look and go, whoa. And I think he's pretty much... This is the only game where you have a really... A protagonist that you have prolonged interactions with in certain points, and it's... You spend a lot... It's, you spend a fair amount of time with him as well, and... From the sounds of it, a good Spectre agent who... Mm-hmm. Did he come into contact with the Beacon and find out about the Reapers himself? Yeah. Throughout the game, you're effectively um, up against a version of Shepard that got there before you and didn't have the backup and ended up going down a darker path. Yeah. He just saw the futility of their si- the situation and caved. He'd rather be by the side of the devil than it is in front of him. Uh, he's voiced by Fred Tatashore, who is most famous for playing the Incredible Hulk over and over again in animation. Oh. Yeah. No wonder we had a hard time beating him then. Yeah. <laughs> he is a good villain from the point of view of the fact that he was a weak character. Um, it's not that he's like twiddling his moustache and going, I, I shall destroy you all. He, no. it, as far as he's concerned, it's, it's an, an inevitability. So he's dedicated to it. He, he's not dissimilar actually to the operative in, um, Serenity. That he has to, do, he understands that he has to be a person who does terrible things, and so that he is damned for it. You definitely see why he was such a great spectre to begin with. Mm. I mean, the fact that he's able to cobble together these resources, even he essentially assembles his own sort of team to go about his business and try to give Sovereign what he wants. And by the time he realizes what she's been doing it's too late an aspect of his overly dedicated character is that he lacks the inner strength to look back on the terrible things he has done reappraise his situation and change his own course interestingly both Malcolm Reynolds and Shepard end up having a similar effect on their antagonists in that they force them to confront this Matriarch Benetia uh, who is uh, Maria Sirtis from Star Trek it's uh, Councillor Troy. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Can I can I just say one thing very quickly? Yes. Boobs. Thank you. <laughs> they are as well, aren't they? That's, that's the first thing you see when you see Bezazia on screen is boobs. Mm-hmm. Well, she is something of a matriarch. Have you ever seen a, uh, a maternal fertility symbol? She adds a certain amount of dignity and a certain amount of legitimacy to um, uh, Saren's game ultimately he's not just going around with his crowd of robots that he is actually he managed to convince this extremely powerful woman ultimately essentially a representative of the Asari race yeah someone so respected throughout the universe and he had the he was able to convince her well from your point of view to go along with your, her his cause mm. He has the ability to threaten and cajole, which also suggests that what they're aiming for is not a simple case of everything and everyone will be gone. And also, they do make a a point of the fact that if the Reapers come, it's not going to be an overnight thing. It's not even going to be a three-week thing. It will be a slow, gradual decline of intelligent life over maybe a hundred years while they're slowly exterminated. You can simulate this by watching BBC Two, then switching to Channel Four, then going to ITV. But it, yeah, it takes place on such what long timescales we can't even really comprehend it. But ultimately, the thing that we're counting down to is a time when we're going to be too weak to fight back. Yeah, yeah. 
The only shame is you don't get a lot of matriarch Venezia because she is an interesting character. Yeah. Like you said, she is a tragic character as well. So there's so much going on there and she's in it for, maybe she's so good because she is in it for such a short period of time that it just hits you really well. She's also there to characterize Liara as well. Yeah. Mm. You learn so much about her through Liara Mm. and the Isai race, obviously. And vice versa. Um, anything specifically strike you about the individual planets and missions that we had to go through? The main ones that you go through are distinctive, but other than that, most of them are very copy-paste, just-change-colour palette, especially buildings. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's explained fairly well in that they're they're mass-produced, prefabricated buildings that can be quickly dropped and, and, you know, to save amount of time to give a a base you know so effectively it's a, the reason that they all look the same is because they're all made by the same people what so we call a shake and bake colony yeah it, it, at least it is addressed to some degree in, yeah. in the, the the codex and so forth but yeah. yeah i mean they are very identical you go into a, a cerberus base it will look the same and have the same layout as every other cerberus base every spaceship has the same layout you can just go left right left left right and you know where you're going to be uh it is a little bit samey yeah. well it's all a lot the underground samey. tunnels are the same <laughs> yeah yeah, no matter where you are on different planets as well. <laughs> I'm at the point now we're playing through it this this recent time. I thought I'm not sure I can go back to this game again. I I, but, I struggled with the Citadel this time round. Uh, not so much on the PC because that was new to me, getting used to that. But console wise, oh my god, I couldn't wait to get out of the Citadel. Well, as I say, this is my fifth playthrough. The thing that gets me through is nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I say this time I played through really quickly, so I didn't do any of the side missions. It was, it was uh, rapid transit everywhere, and I just and you don't spend that long on the Citadel if you just do what you need to do to get moving, because there's not that much to do. You basically you go to um, the club, you deal with Fist, you meet Rex, you meet you rescue Tally, Garrus. you meet Garrus, and you're gone. You're already out the door. There's not that much there. It works much yeah. better that section if you just race through it. I have to say, yeah. and the first time I played it, I did that. I went out and then I came back again, and I had a bit of a wander around. Went off, came back, had a bit more of a wander. Around. I that's think that that is the key to doing the Citadel. Don't do it in one mm-hmm. Go off, do something, come yeah. back again. That's why I say if they just included that little little bit extra in a cutscene where you, it showed you where the the Normandy was parked, so you knew how to get back to it. Yeah. You could, it's you like you've like got to go to CSEC and then get in the lift, which then takes you to the Normandy. But you have to yeah. be paying attention when it tells you that. Mm. Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I got mass- I got the game uh, a couple of months after uh, it was released. I think it was just after Christmas and it was released in the November. I think so, a month or so after it was released. And I basically, 
heard from various people on forums that the way to do it was to get out of the Citadel as quickly as possible and then keep going back and also to download a map off the internet instead of using the, in the in the game. It, the so I had these so little clues. Pointless. But you don't know that if you don't get told that by someone else. It, yeah, I was, I was like, Matt, I was quite lucky. I, I played this uh, very late after release. I didn't actually finish the first Mass Effect until about two hours before Mass Effect 2 came out. Um, I'd so, several times. Yeah, so I'd I'd picked up a lot of hints from people saying, you know, download a map, um, just use rapid transport, don't bother wandering around, it's not worth it in the first one. So I, I, yeah, I should played it in January. I, I got it day of, so I, I I remember getting completely lost. I think it was Toz that told me how to get back to the Normandy, because I was so lost, because I couldn't find it. I think Toz had to tell me how to... Yeah, you go to Z-State, you go in this lift, and you go all the way, and it's there. I went there, and I was like, why did... Oh, game designers, bad, naughty. If you look at the map, there's a little flag saying where you're supposed to be, but it's, it may not be on the floor you're on, so it's kind of like, here's where you're supposed to be. Now, how do you think you get there? <laughs> the the <laughs> thing that I... See, I managed to find it by accident because I picked up the quest to... Uh, the mission to scan the Keepers. So oh, I was randomly yeah. exploring every available nook and cranny and that's I went up the I lift to find that last one and it's like, ah, oh, look, there's my ship. Oh, that's a mean <laughs> one because there's, there's a Keeper that doesn't spawn until you do another quest. Yeah, yeah. the very last one, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> but um, the, this game, unlike pretty much any other, you feel like you're crafting the building blocks to get through the series. So because what you're doing will have an impact on, on two... You can't play Halo 1 and then think, well, I've got to get to the end of this one, otherwise my playthrough of Halo 2 is going to be you know, completely undermined. Well, of yeah. course, the, the end of Halo 2 isn't an end. Yeah. No. <laughs> to be the continued. Only, <laughs> the only series that I've had the experience of where what you do in the first game completely builds towards the second one is the Dot Hack series. All right. Mm. Not played that. But this is, I mean, Bioware have been trying to do this well. I mean, I, right, they didn't do the sequel to KOTOR, mm. but, you know, there's elements in there, and they've been trying to push that for a while, but they've never had a game series where they've done it. Mm. Now that they've done it, you know, Dragon Age does it, this yeah. does it, so I should imagine, I want to see more games do this, that have, if they have a continuing story, I want stuff that I do in the first game to have some sort of ramification or effect on the second one. Because Dragon Age 2 proved that you don't have to continue the exact same story to have certain things affect the events in that story yeah. and it means that even though the first game is now tedious to play at times you still don't feel like you're wasting your time and if you want to take a shortcut there's always the comic for those who have trouble with the original mass effect don't have access to it or want to jump straight to mass effect 2 mass effect genesis is a downloadable motion comic on xbox live or psn that will take you through all the key events of the first game it covers all significant plot points and crucially allows you to make all the major decisions this means that rather than spending 11 pound 50 and 20 hours of your life on the disc you can spend 320 microsoft points which is 2 pound 72 and only 15 minutes setting up the foundations for the far more accessible mass effect 2 Something to think about. Just another routine mission. Why do they always say that before a mission? Of course it's routine. You haven't done anything yet. It's everything that happens along the way. The choices you make. The paths you choose. That turn the routine into anything but. Of course, that's how it started. A routine mission. Answering a distress call. And look where that got me. 
See, the yeah. first time I played it, I didn't. I don't think I put in the code for my Cerberus pack, so yeah. consequently didn't get the interactive comic. And I think it just automatically chose um, which character from one would appear in two. Yeah. And um, uh, I think I think there might be a yeah. I think there was a if you if you didn't if you just bought Mass Effect Two on the three hundred and sixty, you didn't have. The, say from the first game, it would there was a default yeah, option that you could choose. There would be if you didn't want to go through that whole thing, they would say right, this is the the canon yeah. um, character and, and background and result to the game, etc. Giles actually said on the forum that there is a canon for Shepard, and yeah. that you uh, that basically if you want to comply with that canon, you have to play him as a male soldier um, uh, within a certain parameter. Um, Which would I think a lot of people shouted at? Yeah, him. yeah, including Sharon and Leah. Uh, the and, the and difficulty is the whole point of the game is to craft your own yeah. uh, story. And what EA and Bioware have been very careful about the fact that they make it kind of ambiguous about certain things. So whenever they refer to Shepard, they, they tend to avoid saying he or she. And it's so shepherd, they, yeah. they don't they won't deny people their own adventure. Now you can of course just do it by canon, but it's actually quite impressive how they've managed to allow people to have that sense of ownership of this character. Well, of course yeah. it was a very bold move when they had the advertising campaign for three with Femship. Yeah. Which people yeah. had been pushing for though. They'd been yeah. pushing for that since two. The more vocal fans like Femship. I think still statistically, more people uh, go to go with your standard blokey bloke. Uh, was it Johnny Template? I always refer to him <laughs> as the, the, the shaven headed male space marine with a, squ- a lantern jaw and fuck all to say. <laughs> but this, you know, ultimately the male shepherd, obviously I've not been able to play, but obviously has got plenty to say. Uh, again, I think there's another little secret to the Mass Effect that those that want the in-depth experience can go and make femship or male ship and have them look how they want. Yeah. But if you want to just pick up and play, you can do that. And I think that's a great thing that it did. I know that some people didn't like some of the changes that were made in 2, but I think it was ultimately for the better. Mm. Yeah. Let's jump quickly through the races and uh, mention anything of note uh, of the, these races, specifically as it applies to the first game. Turians, if you read into it, they've, they've got this uncomfortable relationship with humanity and that they were the first people that really sort of stepped in and said, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah, they still picked a fight. Well, they were sent yeah. by the council because activating dormant mass relays is illegal under council law. As we mentioned law. earlier, yeah. And they are they are the the military arm of the. Uh, They're the enforcers. They make up the vast system. majority of yeah the, the enforcers. Yeah, they make up the vast majority of the of the um, council military. You don't really get that until three when you're confronted with it. Yeah, I mean it's there in the codex. If you want to read that stuff, it's there, mm. but it isn't. It's definitely not thrown at you. You've got to read quite a long way into the 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 codex stuff yeah. um, and quite a lot to the secondary codex stuff as well yeah. that's the downside at least with the the primary codex stuff that tends to be red doesn't it that that has an audio entry yeah yeah it's Whereas spread out second. to you yeah yeah and and for a long time you thought there was no females yeah Turns yeah, because you never get to see him yeah. until yeah. the DLC. The, was it a Omega DLC on three? Not had Which that. I'm not so played don't know. Yeah, I'm not Cheers for that. <laughs> is it worth, oh no, actually, you could tell us. Is it worth getting Omega? It depends on what you want to do. Oh, I've already bought it. I haven't played it yet. Because <laughs> I've not bought any of the DLC for uh, three. Uh, so if yeah, if it'll actually help our playthroughs, then what would you consider to be fairly essential? Well, if, if you, I don't know if you've heard like the giant bomb, like Vinny, well, Brad talk about it, and he says like, 
because he played the DLC alongside the story, it helped shape, like, the ending didn't come as such a huge shock to him. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's like with two. If you play the DLC as part of the campaign, it makes sense. Whereas if you finish the game and then go back and do it afterwards, you're like, well, what's the point in this? It's just telling me what I already know. It depends, because the arrival is definitely meant to be played after the suicide mission. Yeah. Because that's why it's just you. Yeah, but Shadow Broker and Firewall. Shadow Broker is meant to be played before. Uh, and stole, so. Stolen Memories, they they certainly meant to be played during the, the main game. Yeah, they're, they're, but the Arrival DLC is definitely meant to be played after, because the DLC that I think both me and Alex will probably have to pick up is Ashes to Ashes. Is it Ashes to Ashes? From Ashes. From Ashes. You're thinking of the uh, David Bowie song. <laughs> Sorry, I do actually now have that stuck in my At head. At what so. point does Shepard go from funk to funky? <laughs> it's when, it's when, he, uh, when he has suffers a car crash and gets transformed to 1979. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ash- uh, from Ashes, Omega, and Leviathan. I need to pick up Leviathan. I need to pick up Leviathan. Moving on to the Krogan. These are, looking at it, the darker side of uh, humanity... They are a warlike race uh, that were confined to their own planet and were basically fighting each other the whole time and were found by the Salarians and uplifted culturally to give them intergalactic flight, which then allowed them to go out into the rest of the galaxy and help the Salarians then got them to fight the Rachni. They then beat them. To extermination. To extermination, but then started breeding to the point where they were a threat and actually invading uh, already colonized worlds and claiming them for the, for the Krogan, uh, to the point where they were daring the, uh, the council to stop them. Hence, so being a warrior race. Yeah. Hence the genophage, which is this horrible shades of grey tragedy. Uh, and it, it persists throughout the entire uh, game series and actually probably one of the most interesting and difficult to work out situations because there is no right answer to it. For the uninitiated, the genophage is a engineered disease that reduces birth rates to 1 in 10,000, which severely depleted the race to the point where they're an, almost an endangered species now. See, this is what happens when you mess with the Prime Directive. Yeah, because, yeah, that's ultimately it. The, the Salarians went in, messed with a culture that wasn't ready for uh, intergalactic travel, and, and, and uh, the... Punished they, them for being who they were, essentially. Yeah. Mm. There had to have been something else they could have done at this stage. Mm. But then again, they couldn't because the the Krogan were too aggressive and too powerful to take Mm -hmm. on head on and clearly were not negotiating. It's actually kind of funny when you think about it. Everyone talks about, oh, how the series got so dark and and darker in two. It's like, did you pay much attention during one? Yeah. It started off quite bad. It is quite a, a, a much... I think it looks... How do I put it? The aesthetic is quite a bright future, but you get past the aesthetic, it is a kind of dark and dangerous place out there. People have done bad things. Quarians, as we mentioned before, are the Artali's race, consigned to a flotilla of ships, saying as their homeworld was taken over by the artificial intelligence that they created, the Geth. Which completely changed their biological makeup, meaning that they can't, without a ghost show, without a planet to call your own... It completely affects your species' immune system. Mm. Yeah, because they—I mean—they exist on spaceships, which are mm. all very—you know—they've got the, the. Yeah, that's it. They, they take all the diseases out there and whatnot out of the air, so they become much weaker. They're probably oh, one of the more interesting races in there. Mm. 
The other thing which isn't explained, certainly at this stage in the series, is you're, you're obviously told, well, yeah, we create, the Quarians created the, the Geth, yeah. and the Geth rebelled. But the Geth rebelled because they were given sufficient intelligence that they could start thinking for themselves and realizing uh, that being switched off might actually not be such a good idea for them. Actually, so, um, if you talk to that Taishi Dust, say that the reason why we reacted is because they gained sentience. Yeah. It, it, they don't go into depths, obviously. Yeah. But essentially <laughs> Skynet. Well, it's actually more like the Matrix. Have you guys seen Second Renaissance? Yes. Similar situation happens where uh, robots begin to become self-aware and are um, shut down by their panicking uh, creators, uh, but too late. And again, Cylons. Mm, yeah. I don't say it's a trope, but it's a theme that you see often repeated in sci-fi. But yeah. again, I think a lot of these themes you see repeated, usually one theme in sci-fi. This, this, this Mass Effect just pulls a lot of them in, but... Yeah. Instead of watering them down, still keeps them in really good detail and content. The yeah. elegance about it is because it's optional to actually do most of the uh, digging. They don't bombard you with information. Mm. Unlike a book where if you read through it, you've literally got to read these bits unless you go to the appendices. They make it so that you can effectively go to the appendices during conversations. Mm. Which is the, very uh, is is the best way of uh, telling fiction in a video game. The other thing with the um, with the the Geth is as as has it been explained and is a key plot point in the first game. The uprising, for want of a better phrase, happened two hundred years ago, yeah. and three three hundred years ago. Sorry, uh, yeah, and the migrant I'm sure fleet. I'm just sure, sure Tally mentioned something about the ships being like three hundred years old. So yeah, so so the migrant fleet has been traveling around some might say looking for a new home some might just say well they they're never going to find a home they they want to ultimately go back to their own but the the geth have retreated beyond the the veil as they call it was it the perseus veil yeah yeah, yeah. and and have not been heard from since so the fact that like the, the geth are one of <laughs> the fact that the geth are one of the main well they are the main bad guy in the, your your game Part of the, the shock factor is what are the Geth doing invading this space when they, for the last 200 years, they've been quite happily having their own existence away from every, every other part of the galaxy. Mm. Sort of more of that in two. And you also, you visit so many planets uh, throughout the three games and there's time after time I found myself thinking, you know what, the Quarians could probably settle here. I mean, I know that their immune systems would take a beating, but they, yeah. they could, they've got to get off the ship sometime. Go There's ahead, a certain ahead. amount of pride at work. Can I just say, it amazes me how much detail went to each of the just like non-essential planets. Like, whenever you bring up a planet that you can, you can't land on, you, there's nothing other than just reading its codex and just the thought that somebody or a team of people sat down and typed out these small little, like, density, what happened on there, if anything did, or any resources that might be collected from it. Just that sort of depth of lore, if mm. you can call it that. Yeah, no, the, the, again, the world... I can't call it world building, can I? Uh, the universe, universe building... The galaxy judged, building. The galaxy building. I'd say world building actually does apply to this. 
But the building of, of the law of everything is so done with such loving care and attention to detail mm. that it, it is amazing and probably why people had problems with three. Yeah. The term you're looking for is mythos, I think. Would be, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. all-encompassing term for everything involved here, um, or fictional universe. Uh, it, the depth is staggering. Mm. I mean, Star, the Star Wars Expanded Universe is incredibly deep, but it's been built up over decades and countless authors and hundreds of, if not thousands, of volumes of work. Mm. This has been done for one game and was just a bunch of people sitting down and thinking, right, what are all the possible things we might have to think about? Let's think about them. And then let's think about some more stuff and some more stuff. The detail the fact that the um the, the mako is the vehicle you drive around in there's vehicles dumped on every planet just as sort of just stuff to be there to stop it being a flat bit of ground that's called a grizzly and that is basically an old version of the mako they're always <laughs> broken down they're always knackered and they're yep. everywhere they explain that in the codex they didn't have to explain that it could have just been a vehicle but they they explained it they gave it a name a background a codex entry and it's that attention to detail that makes this game so goddamn good and why it's worth plugging through the shitty frame rate the crappy combat trudging through the citadel and jogging everywhere it's that depth that you've got to every single facet of this it's fantastic And actually, I was going to set aside a bit for Neil to mention the PC version. Is there anything that we haven't talked about regarding the PC version which you might, might want to mention? Okay, just a few things. It's obviously doesn't suffer from the frame rate issues, the texture pop, uh, the controls and Mako. At the minute, maybe just because I've just got to it a little bit awkward, interesting change. Hacking. Because oh. we didn't mention that at all. It's like, it's, what's that Simon Says game? It's like, I like yeah. tea and cakes with tea at cake time. <laughs> that basically, if you're playing on the consoles, I assume that it's probably it just the button combinations changed for the PS3 version. Yeah, yeah it's uh, just X and O's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is actually a proper mini game. You you start out with a curse. You have uh, descending circles going round. You have uh, sort of blocks in your way that you can't move past, and red uh, blocks moving around the circle. And you actually have to try and get into the middle in a time limit. And it's a hell of a lot harder. Mm. <laughs> Even on easy, it's hard. It really is. That's probably the biggest change that I've seen. But like I said, no texture pop. Now, the menu is much easier to navigate as well. So if you have a PC option, uh, I believe Mr. Joshua Garrity did say it is the, probably the better version of the game to get. So if you've got a PC that can run Mass Effect 1, I would, I would advise going that way. Unless... As Midge pointed out, you haven't got a PC that will run 2 and 3, because then you won't be able to carry your save over. And That's I think it's probably point. worth suffering with it on the console to get that extra yeah, no, again, bonus. Yeah. So, yeah. It's if you've just, got a really shit old PC, definitely play them on PC. But this, uh, the point is, it, it, unlike... When it comes to PC ports, sometimes they tend to be half-hearted. As much care and attention has gone into this PC port that actually went into making the game, and I think that's something worth pointing out, that a lot of times you don't get that, and people actually put care and attention into to making this game good on the on the PC as well, apart from the Mako controls. <laughs> you sods. 
The hacking uh, reminded me of uh, Bioshock in terms of that Bioshock is the hardest, most pointless, fiddly hacking in the world, whereas this is the polar opposite, the easiest hacking in the world. It's actually so easy, it's insulting to think that it actually corresponds in any way with what Shepard would actually have to do to hack into the system. To be the fair, implication though, is that she just has to touch the colourful lights. Yes. It's not explained what you're doing. And the first time I clicked on something and, you know, hack or decrypt or whatever, and, and I just saw a button on the screen and I waited and it disappeared and it said failed. And then the next time I tried it again and it went red and I was obviously a little bit too slow then. And (laughs) (laughs) it it doesn't say, yes, you have to do it pretty quickly, but you have to, you have to match that. It's never explained. It just pops up and before you know it, it's gone again. That's what she said. It's like, but it is, is also like a child's toy. Yeah, <laughs> I know it, it disappears pretty sex. quickly, but, but yeah, it's um, it's it's a bit silly. And uh, did, did they get rid of hacking or change hacking in two? Changed hacking. It's it. circuit boards, isn't it? In two. Mm. Oh yeah, no, I actually quite like the hacking There's in two. Three different yeah. mini games, aren't there? For yeah, the... yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's um, you have that. You have the um, the match two. The the the, the data trail where it's scrolling, yeah. and you have to like find the right um, the mm. matching code. Code, yeah. Hacking in games is really, it's a juggling act, because if they made it even vaguely like actual hacking, it would be incredibly fiddly and difficult, and um, people wouldn't feel compelled to do it. But um, also, you don't really want to teach people how to hack, (laughs) not with a video game. It's an awkward one. Uh, I I think basically I I don't know if Jerome did it, but I, when I finished Mass Effect for this show on the console, it was my new game plus I leveled up to level sixty. So I had so much cash, I, I literally couldn't yeah. get any more cash. It was maxed out at nine 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 nine. Same with the Omni Gel. So it was a case of Omni Gel, Omni Gel, Omni Gel, rub Omni Gel on everything. No other thing. How are you opening these things by rubbing gel on them? This, <laughs> this was in well, uh, Penny Arcade Mass- as well. Yeah, Mass Effect Two. Omnigel became obsolete. It's a synthetic membrane. It's full of Omnigel. (laughs) So you you just spurt synthetic membrane all over (laughs) these locks and somehow they just pop open. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. On that note, the music was by Jack Wall and uh, Sam Hullock with additional pieces from Richard Jack and David Cates. One of the best soundtracks this generation. Agreed. This staggering. This, this I love the ending song. Yeah. The ending song is is uh, by a Canadian indie outfit called M4. It's called Fawns Part Two, and it's bloody magnificent. Yeah. Uh, Seven minutes watch, of jogging. Yeah. Listening to that when I finished the game the first time, I was genuinely in shock and slightly depressed that it was over. Yeah. Uh, it was such a fantastic end to that game, and then to hear that really good song. Uh, to bookend that at the opposite at the beginning of the game you start off you, you get the menu screen you get that, that just a single tone rising and that really simple uh, bit of music as you go through the, the menu yeah. and then you get the Mass Effect theme starts to swell and the voiceover oh my god I played it again for this and uh, I was just sitting there I was welling up I was just so so blown away by just how good the beginning of this game is it's fucking incredible
And it doesn't sound, this soundtrack, like anything else in video oh, games. It's clearly inspired by Blade Runner and mm-hmm. uh, several other sort of uh, 80s uh, movies. There's a very sort of 80s sci-fi feel about it, which it perfectly appeals to people of, of sort of like early 30s, maybe early to late 30s age, which it seemed very positioned. It's significantly better than the uh, second and third Although the third does hit some fantastic emotional notes. Uh, second one, the standout tracks are actually all to do with the elusive man. And suicide, suicide mission. mission. And suicide <laughs> mission, of course. Yeah. Track after track after track, they, they all hit different notes and tones, and there's this sense of this the greater, wider galaxy that you're exploring, and like it's somewhere between being magnificent and being dangerous. I think a great thing about Mass Effect, you pointed out there, that it, it, it carries the tone... And sort of the story of those dystopian 80 sci-fi movies, yet carrying with it the, the bright mm. look of more modern sci-fi movies, almost. And I really like that. It captures both tones perfectly well. It's such an incredible soundtrack that you don't need to be playing the game to to imagine yourself immersed in the universe. It's something that you can sit on a on your sofa or on your bed and just close your eyes and picture this world around you. It's so atmospheric and that is another thing that what, what makes it a phenomenal soundtrack and one that will always live in my memory. Also the synth, it could have been done orchestrally, but the fact that it's all done on, on uh, synthesizers and, and computers um, makes it much more sort of techno-organic. You are exploring the universe, but it's because of technology. It's not just that you're able to just go into these worlds with, you know, all natural abilities. You have to have machines to get you there. Mass Effect soundtrack is my favorite soundtrack of this generation. Mm. It's only, I think, it's I probably think... my favorite of uh, any game soundtrack I've listened to. Uh, overall, it's probably my favorite of the lot. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to listen to repeatedly. Yeah. It's, it's probably the, the, the only game in recent years that um, when I put it on, I don't rush to hammer the X button or the start button or whatever to, mm. to get into the game. I always just sit and just, yeah. you know, spend 30 it seconds is. just listening to that music before well, I, the, I hit the, resume. The start is um, Vigil. Vigil. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's, it's got just a fan, it just captures that anticipation so well. It's and transportive. Then, like, it, and then, like Matt says, you get the Mass Effect theme. Oh, God, that's such a good bit of music. Honestly, <laughs> if you've never played the game, just go to Amazon. Down, it's 79p. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> just listen to it, please. <laughs> I it's don't such a good music. You, you may laugh. That's how I feel. He just did it for me. That's how I feel. I, I can't... I mean, I do a podcast about video game music i hear a shitload of it this is still one of the possibly the best piece of video game music in terms of what it means to me out of the lot it's just incredible
we are now at the spoiler section of the game. So folks who still want to play through should leave off now and rejoin the show when you're done. We're about to cover the plot as it unfolds from the planet Vermeer onwards. And again, you should do Vermeer last when it's a choice. It really is worth at least attempting to get through this game. It's one of the most significant Western RPGs and sci-fi action games this generation. For those who are staying with us, we will be back after this rousing speech from Commander Shepard. Intercom's open. If you got anything you want to say to the crew, now's the time. This is Commander Shepard speaking. We have our orders. Find Saren before he finds the conduit. I won't lie to you, crew. This mission isn't going to be easy. For too long, our species has stood apart from the others. Now it's time for us to step up and do our part for the rest of the galaxy. Time to show them what humans are made of. Our enemy knows we're coming. When we go into the Traverse, Saren's followers will be waiting for us. But we'll be ready for them, too. Humanity needs to do this. Not just for our own sake, but for the sake of every other species in Citadel space. Saren must be stopped, and I promise you all, we will stop him. Well said, Commander. Captain will be proud. The Captain gave up everything so I could have this chance. We can't fail. Yes, ma'am. Okay, right, so, on Viamire, who lost Rex? I didn't the first time round, but I'm going to kill him off the second time round. <laughs> you heartless bastard. I actually lost him the first time round. I've I... never had a playthrough where I've lost him. Do you need to actually have maxed out uh, to a certain level uh, your Paragon no. or Renegade to talk it's him down? It's nine, isn't it? Is it nine? Yeah, there's, there's, there's two points at which you can have the, the achievement pop for talking down uh, an unwinnable situation. Yeah. That's yeah. one of them, and the end of the game is the other. Gotcha. Yeah. You're not maxed out necessarily at that point. My first you can also... time through, I didn't have enough points in either one to have the option pop up, and I managed to talk him out of it. Quick question: gotcha. Who's who's? I've always used when I've got it. I've always used the charm down. Has anyone used the intimidate down? Well, I'll have no, it available, no. but I'm going to yeah, kill I, it anyway. If you intimidate him, you literally pull a gun on him and say, "God damn it, Rex! Don't make me do this." You are, you already no. have a gun on him. Oh right, no, it's not. It's more of a. Do you really think Saren's good? This it's it's similar to the charm one, but it's more harsh. Like you're just going to be pig, guinea pigs for Saren, mm. sort of speech. Okay, I'm just going to quickly look at it. I think if you do the Rex's family, uh, the family armor quest as well, that will give you a major yeah. boost to your ability to uh, charm him into to talk him down. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I, I didn't go that way. I, just, I had nothing in charm, so it wasn't an issue. But uh, yeah, if, if uh, he's all, uh, just look on the, the Mass Effect wiki, if uh, you've already helped him to retrieve his family armor, Rex trusts Shepard enough to listen. It becomes easy to calm him down without the need for charm or intimidate. Yeah, so it's, I, e- it's I, easier to do it that way than it is to get Paragon and Renegade points. Getting Rex's respect for me is hugely important. I would far rather have that than get pure Renegade on Mass Effect Three, which would just make me miserable to play through. Yeah, I, I really it's can't play this one. I yeah. cannot play Renegade in these games because I can't up. stand your hero. And if you can't stand yeah. your hero, you're not going to play the game. So Ashley and Kaiden, uh, from the sounds of it, 
it's kind of an even split between who's killed who. <laughs> I've never uh, let him live. I'm going to let him live this one time to see what happens. I've he's never really boring. Him. He's what happens. He's really fucking boring. First time around, I killed Ashley so I can attest to the boredom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I did that by mistake because I couldn't work out what was happening. Oh, yeah. Vermeer is actually, when you think about it, you get that wrong. Or you, you play it a certain way. You get you get shafted a bit because you, you lose two, two people off. yeah and that could be fairly early on if you do if you take it ex- as soon as it's offered yeah mm. yeah that's why you leave it after the also first. if you can't get to Tali in time on the uh, citadel does she die no it gains no it does game over. Failed. you have oh, to right. save her because you need the information to progress gotcha it's okay, a right. state if you don't get to it that's alright okay that's fair enough not that it's difficult I've, uh, I've played it through four times now I've never had any issue getting to her with plenty of time to spare no. yeah, it's not like she's that far away to be fair yeah. no not really if you, if you really didn't know what you were doing you really got lost maybe you could uh... it's, it's literally walk out of Chana's den walk to the exit turn left but there's some guys <laughs> shooting at you you could get stuck in a fight with them well, no, as soon as yeah. you get to that, the timer's over and you're there. You don't have to... That, no, no, it's Chora's Den has shooting guys in it. Oh, yeah. sorry, Ch- yeah, I just ran straight through it. Oh, right, okay. There wasn't an issue. If it's, if it's on harder difficulties, though, you could get waylaid. Well, yeah, I guess so, yeah. You could be tight. Okay, right, so... Um, what is there to say about Ashley and Kaiden? I actually did feel bad about um, leaving Ashley to die at that point. I felt like I didn't know her well enough, uh, even though there, there were issues... I did feel bad about leaving Caden, but at the end of the day, had to make the decision. Mm. He did volunteer. Yeah. Mm. Is well, yeah, one... they both did. For me, though, it was a case of which which one you sent where. And, and mm. so the way I've played it all, all four times, or so the first three times, it just so happened that Ashley was the person with the bomb. And yeah. that's what you're there for, and you have to protect that, that, that bomb. If you leave that unprotected to go and rescue someone that's on your squad that's not really what you're supposed to be there for so for me it's never it's always been a no-brainer whoever's with the bomb that's the person you go and save and it's been it's been actually the first three times imagine if at the end of two you had to choose between tali and garris oh god no i have no idea oh and you actually knew that your decision would kill one of them god that would have been horrible Ask Mitch how it felt. I say, depending on your actions, that can happen. Yeah, no, yeah, but yeah. it's it's not like a, a set game. It's an no, it's no, no, you lie. There is um, a certain amount of waiting as to who dies at the end. Oh there no, are, but there... it's not it's not presented to you as you can save this person or you can save this person at any point. You can no. might lose one, you might lose both. Whereas in Mass Effect One, it's it's a it's a direct choice. This is more that we've been... one or the other. Yeah. yeah. We've been presented with two characters, both of whom could be considered as either boring or odious, so it's not so much of a choice. But if we're presented with two characters that we definitely like and have got a lot going for them and that we've been with for two games and we actually have to make the choice on them, that would have been murderous. Mm. It's kind of a shame they didn't do that. It, it, yeah, yeah, it is. But to be fair, having done it on the first game, irrespective of the fact it was a trilogy... That that plot point twist alone, yeah, screwed so many people. Yeah, that they all remember it. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was its point, that, and it worked. Because you gotta remember, we didn't think this was going when it first came out. It did knowing Bioware's track record, we didn't really think they'd be doing this. We thought the second one would be farmed off to Obsidian. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third one wouldn't happen. So then, when you get to the Citadel. 
and uh, you've got to choose between the uh, human f- uh, humans in the fleet fighting to save the Citadel or the Council themselves. I, in the first time round, I chose... There's a third option. Oh, yeah, what's the third? third option is ignore them both and go straight for Sovereign. Yeah. Concentrate oh, fire on Sovereign. What happens then? Um, the council, well, certainly in my playthrough, the council died, mm-hmm. and I think half the fleet died. But is there a bonus? Is it is it no. good? No, no. So that's terrible. <laughs> then you, you, you still end up being able to choose Udina or um, Anderson for who you want to run the new council because obviously three you choices. are the because you can say uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not part of this. Oh yeah, I don't care. Sort it out yourself, isn't it? Yeah. So you'd be a total douche. You may have to go that route. <laughs> oh, guess which option I'm doing. <laughs> You're well, picking Udina. Yeah. No, uh, first time around, I, I, I saved the humans and let the council die because I, I, it annoyed me that they'd become so stagnant and out of touch with the rest does, of the races. Does that have any effect? I think I did that on my original playthrough, but I don't think I've ever done it since. I think it gets mentioned in the next game, but it's uh, nothing that you do has a huge impact that will completely change the course of two. It's it's more just things that are mentioned. Well, it's things no. like when you come back to the Citadel and they say your Spectre status has been reinstated and all mm. that. You, you don't have the council there to tell you. Yeah. yeah. Th- th- there's problems in two that I want to talk about and also a really big missed opportunity. But This time round, I, I saved the um, council and l- let some of the humans die and ultimately it gains huge amounts of respect for your race because ultimately mm. that's yes. what I've always done yeah. Uh, oh yeah that was it someone said in the council it's the ultimate sacrifice and I wanted to stop them and say hang on a second it's yeah. not because yeah. dying a hero means that you will go on and be remembered for generations and be considered to be a worthwhile member of the human race that is ultimate. not the ultimate sacrifice the ultimate sacrifice is dying a hero but having your name tarnished and being hated forever there's Have one you... or two characters in video games that I can think of right now that were actually reviled as a result and that is the ultimate sacrifice to give everything and to be hated for it Ashley's grandfather made the supreme sacrifice dying a disgrace Years after the battle, he could have gone down in flames, taking everyone else with him, like General Custer, and having to leave that despised name to his family. Yet in doing so, saving lives, and contributing to humanity's involvement in galactic affairs. Being at worst hated, and at best forgotten. That is the supreme sacrifice. So ultimately, yeah, when the human soldiers fighting in the war died, I felt that I'd actually, I'd done the right thing in allowing that to happen and that they had done the right thing for our race. That that one always feels like the right choice because it, it proves that they're willing to fight for yeah. the other races, and that's that's the option. If you if you're going for basically not a douchebag, that's the option you should be picking because that elevates humanity again because it's you they always got about you rushing everywhere you're doing this now but it proves that no but when we want to if you need us we're there you needed us we came through we saved yeah. the council we fought we lost lives we and we did this for you yeah the being able to talk saren into effectively ending this thing himself makes him again a far more of a shades of gray uh, antagonist rather than villain because he ultimately makes the choice not to be controlled not to be uh indoctrinated and doesn't want to actually assist anymore in the the downfall of, of all intelligent life, and he does what he should have done a long time ago. 
But he, he actually run... realises it at that point, though. Yeah. He, he's not he... aware it's happening up until then. He's been running off the thought that if he manages to complete his task, mm. we might be enslaved, but we'll still survive. Mm. When in actual fact, it's the total eradication of all higher sentient beings. Yeah, because you could argue that Benezia is actually stronger-willed because yeah. she manages to break free herself and sort of, you know, gives you the opportunity to resolve that situation with her. Which is heartbreaking, if you have the right party member. So then when Shepard comes out of the wreck, I actually, the first time around, thought that she was dead, and it was, my heart was in my throat, I was like, no, no, this is all completely wrong. It does do a really good job of faking you out. Yeah. Which is why I think they did what they did with two. It's kind of an interesting, but you're right, Alex, when you're like, oh no, 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 no." and then you come out, it's like, yes! And like a badass as well, stands up, yeah, Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, oh, it's just, it's the brow. a little bit of her arm, and he's just like, "Yeah, you know I'm the tech. You <laughs> fucking know it." <laughs> giant, I'm, giant I'm alien spacecraft. <laughs> I eat those for breakfast. Yeah, it was, oh, it was fantastic. The music swelling again. It's just the, yeah. the music just underscores everything so so brilliantly. That right. might be my favourite single piece of music and single moment of this generation. It's epic. <laughs> it's worth, for me, it's worth playing through the whole game just for that. Yeah. It, it is Definitely. a very rewarding moment. It fakes you out, but it gives you this rewarding moment of just walking out. It's like, oh, yeah. Well, even if it, even when you know what's going to happen, it's not so much the fake out, it's the getting caught up in the emotion of this could have been it. Yeah. And it, it, that cemented the character for me as, you know what, I want this character to keep going. listening to the digital gonzo mass effect podcast big salute to my crew matt ramsey of gamerdork neil taylor and james perkins of game burst justin smith of last save loaded and jerome mcintosh from the gonzo planet community we will return in a month's time to talk about mass effect 2 and then a month later for mass effect 3 if you like this show leave us a review on itunes and help gonzo reach further than ever before
This is in full part two.
It's like Rex, you've got to talk her around. Yeah, it's, it's a possible outcome, and I think there's, there's her and there's the other ex-Jedi dude. I think it's either both of those or, or one or other of those can, can be killed. You'll so have to be more specific than ex-Jedi dude. Uh, is it Jolie? <laughs> Jolie That's Bindo. the guy, yeah. Yeah, Jolie Bindo, yeah. I think, I don't know whether it's either one of those in that situation or either of them in different situations. I can't remember, it's been too long, but... Jolie Bindo? Old Mace Window. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>